Well, one of the four principal functions of the CIA is to gather intelligence and, and ideally forward it to the, the president, the users of information, the policymakers, as they say. There are other functions, however, some of them more legitimate than others. One is to run secret wars, the covert action that's written and talked about so much, like what's happening in Nicaragua today from Honduras. Another thing is to disseminate propaganda to influence people's minds, and this is a major function of the CIA. And uh, unfortunately, of course, it overlaps into the gathering of information. You, you have contact with a journalist, you will give him true stories, you'll get information from him, you'll also give him false stories. Did you do buy his confidence with true stories? You buy his confidence and set him up. We've seen this happen in, uh, recently with Jack Anderson, for example, who, who has his intelligence sources, and he has also admitted that he's been set up by them. You know, every fifth story just simply being false. Uh, you also work on their human vulnerabilities to recruit them in a classic sense, to make them your agent so that you can control what they do, so you don't have to set them up sort of, you know, by, by putting one over on them. So you can say, here, plant this one next Tuesday. Can you do this with responsible reporters? Yes, the Church Committee brought it out in 1975, and then Woodward and Bernstein put an article in Rolling Stone a couple of years later. Uh, 400 journalists cooperating with the CIA, uh, including some of the biggest names in the business. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. My plan today, I know I say this a lot, but I really genuinely am trying to do this. Not even necessarily because I think it's the best way to go, the right way to go, or what you all want, but genuinely trying to get these shorter Again, I know I say this often, but I'm really I'm trying to make this more more less topics, essentially, not every possible category. So today, my goal is to see if I can do this in a reasonably short period of time. My goal, I guess, as always, was to make this a short show in general. And then I kept adding things I thought were important. Everything seems to fit together to me these days. Right. So. It's, it's just it's so hard not to piece everything together. Like, for instance, I'm seeing people talk about that Daily Mail article about the trans singer that just went got naked. I mean, it's just like there's so many crazy things that aren't necessarily monumentally important, but yet overlap with an interesting direction this is going and why that's not being censored and all sorts of stuff. But that won't be talked about today, at least not focused on. But we're going to start off today with the discussion of the FBI or overlap to the ABC journalist. We mo we mentioned that a moment ago, but I want to kind of point out a few things that I that I was I was speaking with Allison Morrow, and she's tapping into some contacts she has in the in the corporate media areas and and asking some questions. And I really wanted to give you guys my perspective on this to start, so you see why I'm suspicious about this. But then we're also going to talk about Ukraine to begin, and it's really focused on this topic of Russians raping children and soldiers and so on. And we mentioned that again the other day, but it's developed a little bit. And I want to show you some interesting things that I found in this in this overlap and why I think this is dishonest at its core. We're going to talk about, in my opinion, the most important couple of parts of the story today or the show today 
a really great video put out by Professor Norman Fenton about not just the point about the 14 to 21 day manipulation of how they kick everything down in the injection time frame that happens in that time as unvaccinated. Anything 14 to 21 days is considered unvaccinated in most places, even if it happens because of the shot or, you know, possibly. And it's not just that. It's also because of this way that you can gain the efficacy using even two placebos, that exact same model. And I'll show you this. And I'm really glad somebody shared this with me because it's it, it really puts this in perspective. And we're going to go through why that's so important. Reiterating the manipulations around the injection and the efficacy, not just the efficacy, but the danger that the COVID idea presents if it's even actually present. And then we're also going to talk about how that's that collapsing narrative is leading them to rush out the, as you might have seen over the last so many days, or really, yeah, the last so many week or so, the Biden administration rushing out its biosecurity state plan, which is exactly what it is. Telling it, framing it as the future of our bio framework and where it's all going to go. And there's two different documents really both addressing the same thing and showing you it's exactly what we all feared. Rushing out vaccines in 100 days, mass testing, lockdowns guaranteed. I mean, literally everything that nothing is that's everything that we've already seen proven is not remotely the right thing to do in these situations. And that's, again, not even the best way to say it is that they're all dramatically dangerous. In fact, do the exact opposite of what we've been told. And we're going to finish today with an interesting overlap of why that's being done now and why they're rushing this out in regard to the energy crisis, the food crisis, and how those things are being used to drive you very specifically into a control structure. And I'm going to end with an article that you might have seen that's been censored already by themselves. The UN removes an article talking about an interesting overlap with hunger and control. And they're saying it's fake. A satire article turns out the author is telling you that it's real and why they delete it and lied about it. You'll soon see. It really does kind of build a, a very clear picture about why they want to sell you on the idea that they're trying to help you. Yet all their actions continue to essentially solidify that that will always be a problem. Right. They want you to think they're going to save you, but they want to make sure they don't stop their cash cow. That's what I think is happening, at least so many different ways to frame it. Well, let's start again with the journalist discussion here that I think is really it's it's I'm very suspicious about this. And it not doesn't have to mean that he, he necessarily is involved with some plan or just that this is being framed in a very strange way. And I just want us to be skeptical. At, but regardless of how it's framed, just like all the rest of these conversations, even if this guy is not what he appears to be, the story will still be used if it is indeed what it looks like that a journalist is being persecuted to be used against independent media or anybody for that matter that they want to suppress. It's sort of the analogy about any of these people that like people used to see Julian Assange as a CIA agent and so on. And certainly possible. I don't believe that. But the point is, regardless, it will be used to suppress people like us. Right. So that if that's important, it doesn't mean that it's not important whether or not these people are not what they appear to be but they'll still use it either way. And so this is important regardless, but I want us to be skeptical about this. And it's, this is a New York Post article, award-winning journalist missing since FBI seized classified docs in the home raid. Now, from what I can understand, what I can tell from, from discuss, speaking with Allison Morrow and, and many other people that have their own insights into this story, that's not even accurate as far as I can tell. Now, I don't think anybody, which is where everyone should be tackling this discussion, is a, really understanding the full picture here. There's a lot going on. Everyone's kind of guessing about the dark spaces and, you know, the gaps in the story. But as far as I can tell, he 
sort of disappeared before this ever happened. So why is it that this is essentially being framed as if he just vanished after the raid, which makes it very clear the insinuation that it was either he, he was taken or something happened because of that, meaning the raid. So that's right out of the gate is interesting to me. They seem to know that's the case. At least well, I'll show you what I mean. An Emmy Award winning ABC News journalist who broke several high profile national security and terrorism related stories has gone missing since the FBI reportedly seized classified information from his laptop during a raid on his Virginia home. See, all these hypotheticals were being told. They, and that being stated does not seem to be the accurate point that he vanished after that happened. I'll even show you the article seems to suggest that the apartment was vacated before this ever happened. It's just there's so much about this that does not add up. And that's why I'm so skeptical about what they're trying to accomplish with this story. Now, weirdly enough, and this is the New York Post, that from like Tucker's story and the right side of this argument, it seems that they're really focusing on the Biden overlap. Of course, even if that's that's it, even if the story is exactly what it looks like. It's telling that they just jump on the thing that they can use politically. Certainly could be the case. It's but everyone from that side of the story is telling you this is what it's about. At least I'll, I'll give Tucker the the he was objective about it, saying we don't know, but this is one thing that we should look at. But then people on Twitter are talking about this like this is why, right? It's this story and it's because of Biden and they're going after the journalist. And you know, that's how this tends to go from the partisan perspective. And you know me, that tends to make me a little suspicious. And then what well, my point was in this discussion, they don't even mention these. They point to different stories. So it's just an odd. Everyone's choosing to frame this the way they want to. And the guys, that's how the partisanship area works in journalism. It's never that it's, it's inherently dishonest. And I can't get past that. People will ignore things because they don't align with what their political parties see and want. And ha it's everywhere. We all know that even within the parties. It doesn't mean that people don't do that who aren't confused by the two-party paradigm but it is very prevalent in that situation it says has not been seen in public since heavily armed federal agents raided his penthouse apartment again but that they keep repeating that and that seems to be seems to be the kind of rolling around that's according to rolling stone but then there's all these data points that make it clear that that is not even necessarily the case the magazine cited familiar sources with the matter as saying that federal agents found classified information on neek's laptop so of course as always this gets leaked out to you by the very people that are conducting the investigation, acting like we don't, you know, they're not supposed to do that. This is the government telling you what they want you to know. That's how that always works. So it's not some kind of sources familiar with the matter. That's the FBI telling them through some kind of channel that that's what happened. That's my that's my guess. Certainly could just be some person involved that secretly says that. But that's supposed to be a crime. Right. Meek's attorney, Eugene Gorhakov, told Rolling Stone, Mr. Meek is unaware of what allegations anonymous sources are making about his possession of classified documents. So right there, his lawyers apparently speaking to him and speaking through the media. No, at least that's what we're being told. Right. For all we know, the lawyers making it up. But he is very clearly projecting, stating that he is speaking with his client and then peeking back to the meeting and saying, well, he's unaware of any allegations you have about these documents. So. Either so we can assume or guess that they may be making all of this up, but we can't just make that guess. We have to have something to back it up. So as it stands, it seems to suggest that he's not missing and they are speaking with him. He's just he, he's staying out of the spotlight. But the point is, we don't know. Could be made up. There could be more to the story. Mike, you always know my point, guys. There's far too many people out there stating this is what this is by, before anybody knows, which speaks to something I think. I, as you remember from my show the other day, the, the point about how there's a lot of these people kind of being set up to be the heroes of today or this whistleblowers of tomorrow. And, and not to say that's that's for sure. I'm just very cautious about how it's happening right now. Now, it says it's unclear which stories, news stories promoted the federal government's 
to set its sights on Meek. I mean, I got look just from a very outside the story objective standpoint. It is crazy that we have journalists unless there's a, a very, you know, we don't. That's the point. We don't know the full picture. There may be more justification, whether just uh, justified or not, about why they raided his house. But it is a pretty big deal to have a journalist as prominent as he is raided by the FBI because of documents, because as, as I think they say in the article here. Yeah, right here. And this is this is what's crazy to me. Is it not the journalist's job to report crimes from whistleblowers, from sources, from anything? And that's whether or not the whistleblower or source has a right to give that information, right? If it's if there's something wrong happening, which is what the stories are that they're talking about, it doesn't matter whether it's a crime for the person to really give you that information. It matters in the context of their legality, but not you. You're a journalist, right? But this is how they try to play this game that you're not allowed to do so, that you're not breaking the law by publishing crimes. That makes them a whistleblower, even if they're not legally allowed to do so. The governments play this game where they make things, it's illegal to give information for the government, but then that, that for, they're therefore illegalizing any kind of whistleblower, right? The argument's supposed to go that if you relieve, show true information, that, you're, that there's no longer a crime. But look at Julian Assange. Okay, see, here's my exact point. All that little preamble I didn't need to get into, I wanted to, I thought it was interesting. This is my point. I'm trying to get folks. You guys tell me what you think. Should I spend four hours rambling on about things I think are important? Some of you think so. The allegations in your inquiry, quote, it says, this is according to the attorney of Meek. The allegations in your inquiry are troubling for a different reason. They appear to come from a source inside the government. That's his attorney saying that. It is highly inappropriate and illegal for individuals in the government to leak information about an ongoing investigation. Now, he's talking about the FBI leaking that information. Right. But what's in, what, on top of that, what they're he says, we hope the DOJ promptly investigates the source of the leak. Right. So what I'm talking about, first of all, is what they claim they found on his on his computer, that they're government documents, classified documents. OK, well, what's on those documents? Right. If he got leaked information about criminal about governments committing crimes, he has every right to be investigating that and publishing those. That makes the person who gave him them a whistleblower and he's supposed to be he or she's supposed to be protected. But they're just arguing simply because they're there by default. That's a crime. That's not the reality, right? There's more in there. But then on the second part of it is lawyers going, well, who leaked you the information, right? Who, who told you what's going on in this? And that person should be, they don't care about that leak. And this is my point because they wanted you to see that. That happens all the time. They act, they use their, their channels through the media and whoever else to leak information. And don't forget, it's been proven many times that the FBI leaks its own information and then points at the story that covers it as the impetus for why they're allowed to begin an investigation. That's wildly illegal. That means there's no evidence. Their evidence is them telling the media that there is something. The media says that, and then they begin. We, are, we also saw Ned Price do the same thing where he act like the evidence was the fact that the government said that there was evidence. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, but they don't care anymore, it seems. But it says Meek's whereabouts are unknown. And I'm going to show you this tweet in a minute. This is like the last tweet on his account. A spokesman for a spokesperson for Disney-owned ABC told the Rolling Stone he resigned very abruptly and hasn't worked for us for months. Now, very clearly, no question, he resigned long before this happened. Right. So he has the way this is written, it kind of makes it sound like he resigned and this all happened in a similar time frame. He resigned months before this. He pulled back from public view. He wasn't tweeting. Then this happened. They could be connected. Meek's last public statement was a tweet from April 27th in which he wrote one word facts. And I'll show you what he wrote it about. It's about Ukraine. The tweet was a reaction to a post about the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, why wouldn't that be the main argument? 
right? Like instead of finding some other connection to something around Bi- Biden, the whole Biden administration's aggressively funding this and pushing this forward, right? So why would it be something around that? That would be my first thought. Then it says last year, the Biden administration put in place a policy prohibiting federal investigators from seizing journalist records without authorizing authorization from the deputy attorney general. Right. So that's what they're supposed to do. Then he says, if agents got a hold of Meek's records, the move would have had to have been approved by the U.S. Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco. Of course, because the government never does anything they're not supposed to. Right. You got to love the reverence for the government by the corporate media who's supposed to be holding them accountable. Of course, they would never do that. Of course, they would. They do it all the time. They do what they're not supposed to all the time. And they just make up an excuse and say, well, here, national security or blah, blah, blah. Right, it's just so funny. That statement made me laugh out loud when I read this. Of course, the move would have had to have been approved by them. Now, it's still a point to make, though. Arguably, it, sh- it would have been approved if gone through the proper channels by the attorney general. That's just some, that's the whole kind of the argument with Trump's thing. They were making all these statements about what should have and probably happened. And none of it ended up really the way it went down. But it says, if agents got a hold of Meek's records, the move would have had to have had. Oh, I, that's what I just read. Since the raid, Meek's neighbors have not seen him. That's the first point I thought was interesting. Okay, so they haven't seen him since that. But then here's what it says next. Witnesses also, apparently, same neighbors and witnesses. I mean, witnesses. So I would assume neighbors, if they're talking about the story of his house. But that's my assumption. But it says witnesses also told the magazine that it appears his apartment's been vacant. Not vacated, but vacant. That's, that's meaning at the time this has happened that nobody was living there. So the point is, if they haven't seen him since the raid, but then the way they wrote that sentence almost seems very intentionally. The, the sentence should have read that neighbors and witnesses said they had not seen him. In, uh, rather, that the vacant part should have been first. That implies that he wasn't there before the raid, right? Somebody's telling me Rockfin is down. Odyssey's not working, apparently. Dang. Rockfin has this weird, funky thing where you'll hit go live and then later during the video it says hit go live again i don't really know why it does that but i just hit it again so we're probably back up and live but it's probably a second video so i apologize about that in any case i should have said at the beginning i forgot to tell you odyssey also seems to be having problems i'm not sure why but going back to the story the bottom line is abc news staffers who work with Meek told rolling stone that he fell off the face of the earth again this is not after the raid this is after he left the the offices that was april or give or take months ago so he felt the face of the earth all the way back then. Yet the story right now is being coupled to the idea that the raid and then disappeared. Right. You see my point? So that's not honest. And it feels like everybody from every part of this partisan media is making this argument that he vanished. And look, I'm not maybe there's more to it. Maybe we'll find out tomorrow that he did. And it's because of the raid. But I just want to be very suspicious about how this is going forward, because the way it's being framed does not make sense. And plenty of people, including people on all sides of the paradigm and people that are aware of the two-party illusion, are beginning to say that there's something fishy about this. Here's what he wrote. This is the tweet from April, April 27th. He wrote facts to this. This person saying, a U.S. defense official described a bonanza of information the American military has gleaned about Russia. Tactics, procedures. This is basically saying that this was such a benefit to the U.S. because they use this to to basically observe how russia did what it does and and use it against them we call it free chicken like whatever you're telling me that you haven't been able to look at what they're doing everywhere else or i mean i'm sure they did gain some kind of information by this but i just find this to be kind of like a we're winning for other reasons kind of an argument but it says actually it started a long time ago we learned this between 2014 2022 and this is interesting isn't it 
what they're essentially saying is the U.S. government's been involved there since 2014, which we all should know, and that they've been using this and using the game of using the Ukrainian military to gate get information from Russia. Okay, there's where oops should be spoken, right? That's the point. This is showing you that this has not been we just suddenly started screaming Russia's invading Ukraine, but rather they've been setting traps and poking them and trying to get this to happen for this among, among many other reasons. He says it was an eight-year lab experiment on Russia TTPs, on EW, on everything. This is why Ukrainians, with our advice, assist, are doing so well. I don't necessarily agree with that. The Ukrainian people are suffering wildly, and the Ukrainian military is claiming to be winning all over the place when reality shows they're not. Ask those in IC and and the UW communities. We learned a a lot. So his point is facts. So he's basically admitting that we've been using the situation since 2014 to our benefit. Well, yes, anybody with brain cells can see that that's clearly what's going on. You may still think you can argue they're doing some kind of greater good argument, but they have been driving this into reality since long before 2014. And it, it really does take a childish ignorance to not be able to accept that that's very clear. I'll, I'll always give you the benefit or the, the opening to say, but, you know, those things being the case, here's why the U.S. is still on the right or so on. Like we can argue about that. But this game we play where we can't acknowledge the very obvious things the U.S. government does that are wrong or dishonest or break. It's just so childish. But we all seem to be seeing it today. So that was the tweet he put out. Now, here is what Tucker Carlson's show said about this. And it's kind of the same thing. And I think it's interesting. But there are a couple points in here I want you to see. It wasn't it was I mean, I like the way he starts this by being objective about it. Well, here's a completely bizarre story. We can't even really guess as to what's really going on here. But an ABC News reporter gets a visit from armed men with guns from the Biden administration at home and then disappears and hasn't been heard from since. What? Fox's Trace Gallagher has the story for us tonight. And just to be clear again, and this is what objectivity is, guys, right? The idea is that ultimately just because the FBI did this does not guarantee the Biden administration was explicitly involved. Right. Or even that they there's plenty of things we saw there in Trump administration that happened. The FBI, I mean, frankly, I find the FBI similar to the CIA and the NSA's groups today, despite them being domestic. They are reasonably unaccountable for a lot of different things. And you can look like look back at other like ex-presidents and what they discuss about. There's a lot of that happening. You want my, my opinion? I absolutely think Biden was involved, aware of what this was. That's my opinion. But just remember that we don't know that yet. And it's possible that there it's not just possible. It's 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 about a 50 50 coin flip in these kind of cases, whether or not the Biden administration was involved in this kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. I'm just giving you a, the idea that I it, it's it's happens often that the FBI takes action that's not run by the White House. Right. So my point is why that is being stated is interesting to me. A lot of assumptions in the two party paradigm. Trace. Hey, Tucker, the missing journalist is 52-year-old James Gordon Meek, who covered national security and terrorism for ABC News. In April of this year, the FBI conducted a heavily armed raid on his sixth-floor apartment in Arlington, Virginia. The FBI called it a, quote, court-authorized law enforcement, meaning the search warrant was approved by a federal judge. And during the raid, the FBI also seized Mr. Meek's laptop. Anonymous sources told Rolling Stone magazine the laptop included classified information. James Gordon Meek's attorney believes only a source inside the government would know that and says the leak is highly inappropriate. But on top of that, the Biden administration prohibits seizing documents from journalists without authorization from U.S. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, leaving many to ask, why would the deputy AG give that kind of approval? 
Well, it's interesting, and we have to wait and see what happens here, ultimately. But you remember, there was somebody else. I'm, I'm suddenly forgetting who that was. There were people were going, what happened to this guy? He disappeared, and nobody cares, and it's all gone. And then it turned out nothing happened. Remember that? It went on for months. And anybody, anybody that wasn't screaming about it was called a shill, right? That's how this stuff tends to go. It doesn't mean that it's always that way. Oftentimes, it turns out the other way, where we, certain, where things should have been discussed, right? Where people should have been talking. But then the point is that we are quick to jump into these things, especially in the partisan field, because it, we want to. We want to believe. It's like, it's like, right, like, for instance, right now, from my perspective, if something came out, a study that said that the COVID-19 jab was killing people more, you know, more than we thought. Well, I mean, we all acknowledge that would be something that most people would share because they already assume that's the case. And you know what? They're probably right right now because of the information we can see. But that in and of itself is what I'm talking about. And there's a lot of very specific ways like that that it happens where it's not so obvious, where we're very quick to be like, that looks right because I already think that's the case and we share it. And that's the the problem with a lot of this stuff. Now, here is somebody else sharing this kind of thing. And this is what I'm talking about, where it says, but this not this person, I wouldn't even fault them. It's what the media is blatantly pushing, that this guy disappeared off the face of the earth following the raid. But you see my point? The disappear at the face of the earth quote is the his his colleagues discussing what happened after he left the office months ago. And yet we're seeing this praying for people as he disappeared after the raid. Even Tucker said that, right? I mean, am I wrong? That's not accurate, but it's being pushed that way anyway. Have you seen this person? Now, here's the interesting part. This is, I, I, was re- I reached out to Allison Morrow, who actually had a great interview. I should have actually brought that up. I'll try to remember to grab that before we finish. A Rockfin interview with, uh, with another journalist who was researching this topic. And I talked to her afterward, and she's been reaching out to people. And this is what most of them are saying. Now, you could take it with a grain of salt. You should, because I don't know these people. I can't confirm what they know and what their influences are. But I have great respect for Allison Morrow, and I know that she's objective. And this says, got this message from one of his friends. So these are people that she's reaching out to. And this is somebody who she reached out to who sent this to Allison. This is unfortunately, everyone I spoke to gave a hard pass, either anonymous or publicly. These are his friends, like specifically people that they know who are the friends of Meek. And that's interesting, isn't it? A hard pass, anonymous or publicly? Like, why wouldn't anybody want to speak on the record? That seems to suggest that there's something they know. I don't know. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's, you could assume that in endless directions. Maybe they know that there's something bad going on. They don't want to be part of it. Maybe they know that there's nothing happening. They don't want to be part of the lie. I don't know, but it's interesting. But it says, hate to have wasted your time, says the person speaking with Allison. I was hoping at least one of them would have said yes. And she says, I was told that James Meek was seen with one of his daughters in August. Now, I can't confirm that. That's what one of these other people who is his friend said to one of Allison's friends, who was another journalist, who then told Allison. Right. So it's completely I'm not asking anybody to buy that. But what I am telling you is that there is information circulating that it's not true. Neither side has evidence of it, but everyone seems to already be deciding what the narrative is. And that's the problem with a lot of stuff today. They attended the Blondie concert. This was in August, she claims, here in D.C. at the Anaheim Theater. So he's not missing, just staying under the radar. That's what they claim. He resigned before the raid from his position. That has been confirmed, yet most of the media is reporting it incorrectly. So. Maybe that was not worth the time to explain that, but I just think it's really interesting to dissect these little stories and how they're being used against us, I would argue. Now, here's another interesting story that I just want to include because I'm just blown away by how ridiculous this is. <clears throat> Sandy Hook families seek $2.75 trillion from Alex Jones. That's not a typo. From the podcast, it's exactly what the $2.75 trillion. 
I mean, that's more than some countries, most countries' GDPs. That's crazy. I think that's the point of this. It's meant to be ridiculous and make a statement. Now, what's funny is this is on the way back machine. Jury already awarded families $965 million, almost a billion. They said a billion when they framed it because they wanted that number, it seems. But, up, and sorry for the weird way this does this, the, the highlighter sometimes makes the, the text freak out, but it says this was updated on October 21st at 6.56 a.m. Oh, remember often I point this out to you, how a lot of these corporate media outlets will update these things often and not, and just all they write is updated. And I, frankly, I see some independent doing this today. And that's not good journalistic practice. If you change something, you should notate what it is at the bottom, even if it's arbitrary. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. I mean, I sometimes update like a typo when I don't do anything. But the idea is if it changes the content, absolutely, beyond a doubt. Well, here, I'll just do this first. This is what I found interesting. So here is the current site. Look at what it says now. Sandy Hook families asked judge to max out Alex Jones' penalty. So why did they change it? Now, what you'll notice is they changed it numerous times. They changed something at 6.56, which it was posted at 4.42, or that was PM, excuse me. Then again, they changed it at 9.30. See, so three times they've altered this article since it went out on the 21st. Isn't that weird? Like, why is that allowable? Like, just constantly editing and you don't even know what's happening. What they do, though, is they change the title. They change the title three times. <laughs> it's like, why? That's just very telling to me, isn't to you, to me. I hope it is for everybody. But the point is, I think that they realized how ridiculous that looks. I think it got the raw, the, the opposite effect where people are like, really? I mean, look, even people that think he's a conspiracy theorist or think that he should pay, they're like, three trillion dollars i mean come on i mean that sounds cartoonish it is cartoonish people can't even fathom what how much money that is like legitimately like you i'll play that clip in the past about the money in a football field and how big it is when you get the trillions i mean it's more than you could possibly your brain can't really grasp the the, the size of that after a certain point that's right that's why i think they changed it but this is ridiculous i think this is trying to make a statement here's what it says the family said they're entitled and you're going to laugh at this to the amount because Jones broke a state law barring the sale of products using false statements. <laughs> right? Okay, great. So we don't care about the gigantic amount of false statements being spun left and right about the vaccines that are killing far more people than any story we're talking about here. And Pfizer being caught, what, 10 plus times billions of dollars for doing exactly that, for lying about false statements or false statements about their drugs. I just think that's ridiculous. And now you're, char you're trying to charge G uh, Alex Jones $3 trillion or $2.75 trillion because you claim he made false statements about Sandy Hook and then sold products. I don't even know how those necessarily connect, right? Are you arguing? Like their argument is based on the idea that because he made false claims about Sandy Hook, that that's how he benefited, made all this money. Well, that's, I don't even know how you could prove that, right? Were they tuning in for that? Were they tuning in for something else he was talking about? Well, so you guys are assuming that was why people tuned in. You see how this all, everybody's assuming everything today, and apparently nobody cares anymore. The reality is that they're arguing that's the case, and that's the best they have, and so I guess that's how the courts work these days and always have, but because of false statements. But how do you connect that to this, the products he sold? Because this is about false statements about the products. I mean, this is just abstract and ridiculous to me. They reached the sum by multiplying the state's law, 5,000 per violation. By 550 million social media exposures that Jones' audience received on his Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts. Think about how ridiculous that is. This is just how they're, they're grasping to connect this to what you're doing on social media. 
So that way people like everybody out here get scared about tweeting something that might be in a, you see how that works? They're scaring people with this and it's working to some degree. But how dumb is that? So basically what they did is go, okay, they, he got 550 million, I guess, you know, whatever you want to exposures, whatever page views, whatever they're talking about. They added it up. They got his metrics. And then he simply said, okay, well, it's $5,000 per false claim. And that's about products, by the way. So that's a net broken abstract thing in its own, in its own right. And times that in exposure. So that's what are you arguing that every time somebody saw one of his posts that they automatically went and bought something or you see my point. I mean, this is just crazy. I doubt this will actually happen. The money, the amount, but it's already ridiculous with a billion dollars. If you ask me, especially since the topic itself, as I've made clear many times is look, any topic for that matter is allowed to be questioned, is allowed to be discussed. Personally, I feel that there should be some level of of decorum with this kind of topic, but that's not a... You have every right to be and speak how exactly you want. Because you upset somebody, even if it's something that I would argue is not right. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if I was to do that, you still have a right to do so. We all know it's called free speech. This is them attacking free speech. Simple as that. On top of that, I'll stand by what Alex said, and I agree. You know my opinions of the platform in general about Al, the, 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 you know, all of it. But nonetheless, he's right. He was covering the story, not making the story. Now, he, you could argue he did perpetuate it and it got bigger because of his coverage, but that's just the byproduct of being a large platform. Right? But so here we are, where this is happening regardless. Alex Jones perpetuates this attack for one reason. Greed! Oh, apparently because you're inside of his head. Oh, okay. So now you're reading Alex Jones's mind. Thanks, guys. Alex Jones will never treat them like real people because they're too valuable to him as a target. Right. Did he write that down? Did Alex Jones sign an affidavit where he admitted that's what he thought? Well, then how in the world can any honest person look at that with a straight face? Because that's what we're in today. The corporate media and everybody else knows exactly what Putin wants today because they know. Right. Trust them. They're your betters. That's being facetious. Hopefully ever we got that state judge Barbara Bellis will determine the final amount Jones must pay. She has previously said Jones violated the Connecticut unfair trade practices. Like think about how desperate they must be to find some justification if they have to use the fact that he used claims that no, I argue nobody has proven are inaccurate. The idea that there's questions here, right? I mean, you can go as far as you want in regard to the children and so on. And you have ever you could call him out and say that he's wrong and so on. But again, the bottom line is, as an outlet, you have a right to make these claims, to question these things. But then they say he can't sell products while he's I mean, what about look at it this way? What about the corporate media? Let's take Iraq war. So you're telling me every single outlet that was pushing the WMD lie while selling Pfizer drugs were breaking the law. Is that not exactly the same thing? Excuse me. Is that I mean, what about how about the idea of. What's a ridiculous, uh, how about going back to the claims about Ukraine? How about the claims about the, the jumping, jumping to uh, this one really quickly, this girl, right? Disgraced ombudswoman fired by Ukraine parliament, admitting she lied about rapes committed by Russian soldiers, which by the way, they're spinning back up again today, which we'll get into next. What about all the outlets that shared their products or sold them using this story? You get the point. Why is that not the same thing? It is exactly the same thing. They just don't care about those ones. Crazy. Now, the last part, it says, during the Connecticut trial, one of Jones's employees testified his company made 
between $150 million and $1 billion in sales. So you know another way to say that? I've got no clue. That's the right answer there. So anywhere between $1 and a billion. Who knows? I mean, obviously, $150 million is a lot. But if you're saying between $150 million and a billion, you have no clue how much money he made. Think about how stupid that is. This is the kind of stuff that they're introducing as evidence. That answer clearly shows you this guy is guessing based on what, previous years? I just, I mean, I, I'm just so sick of how clearly dishonest these people are just because in many cases, they just have decided that they're right to do this. So the law doesn't apply to them. And then of course, the top of it, you know that they're not deciding they're right. They just don't care. But speaking about these kind of manipulations, let's talk about the Ukraine story because this is very, very clear. This is unbelievably dishonest the way this is going forward. Now, to be clear out of the gate, I can't say for sure whether Russian soldiers have done something like this, but the reality is that neither can they, as far as I can tell. We are getting secondhand information during from a war zone, right, while there's lots of stuff going on, from people that are affiliated with the Ukrainian government. At the very least, people that are affiliated with the UN, which have a history, in many cases, the exact people involved, of playing their role in these kind of human rights investigations that turn out to be wrong. Now, I'm not going to go into that second part of it just because today I was going to focus on this. But regardless, we already saw them get caught lying about this. So it's crazy that we just take this at face value going forward. I just want us to realize that there's every reason to question this. And on top of that, that they've lied about endless amounts of of things in this topic, in this story. And we've already seen them use this in the past. We saw this with, uh, I believe it was Libya. We saw this with numerous locations where they argued this exact story. And it was also false back then. Wyatt Reed points out, Independent International Commission of Inquiry on Ukraine relies, quote, primarily on firsthand information and state actors. It's right there. I'll even show you a post from the UN, which makes that also sort of clear. Bottom line is, it's Ukraine says. Now, just because there's a, a member of the UN who is not associated with the Ukraine government, who is leading the group, she's, as he points out, they're relying on second, firsthand information, but so that becomes secondhand information and state actors. And so if it's state actors, these, even the firsthand information, have we confirmed that those are not people that are aligned with the government on the ground? Because remember, a lot of people that were in Ukraine have fled outside or to Russia because of what's going on. Now, you can argue that those people, the people that are left there, at the very least, should be taken with a grain of salt because you don't know what their intentions are. But really, you should do that with everybody. That's the, that's the reality. And then when you see that the people pulling the strings, you should ask why. Because don't forget, there's plenty of people on the ground that are being told this coming out of their cellars and being told the Russians were killing everybody. And that's what they think happened. And, by, and on top of that, some of them may in fact have been attacked, hurt, raped, manipulated by Russian soldiers. I'm not saying it's not possible. What I'm saying is that there's evidence that matters here. And we have endless amounts of evidence showing you what Ukraine's government has continued to do. And you get a bunch of stories and statements coming from the other side. That's the fact. And I'll show you. So one seems to be far more relevant when you have things to people like Wyatt Reed and Eva Bartlett and Vanessa Bealey and Patrick Lancaster and endless amounts of people continuing to document what's right now happening in Donetsk, what's continuing to happen in these areas. And this, it, it, this is the woman who already got caught lying. The Ukraine ombudsman woman fired after setting up a hotline staffed by her daughter inflating the number of calls about what happened here. And in fact, absolutely from whole cloth lying about it. That's what the Ukraine government admitted fired by Ukraine parliament after she admitted she lied. She addressed the Independent International Commission on Inquiry on Ukraine, right? So this is the point, that she was part of the previous lies. 
the commission can't possibly examine all reported incidents. Finding relies primarily on the people we're talking about, people tied to the government. The commission seeks further corroboration from available primary and secondary sources from states. Right, because they never lie to you, right? She admitted that she obtained information on sexual violence from her daughter. And the same point, caught lying. That's, that's the fact about this. Now, this person whose tweet he's sharing, I'll show you next, blocked him. You'll see why. Now, here's just, by the way, Ron Paul Institute writing about this back on June 9th saying, or rather, Paul Joseph Watson writing about this. Read it for yourself. Where This is not a joke. She lied. The government admitted she lied. The corporate media barely covered that after they were spinning the story. And many of them carried on saying her lies up until this point, by the way, even though she was told she openly admitted she got caught lying. Now, uh, here's the tweet that he put out. He's the one that just blocked Wyatt after pointing this out, of course. And his, his comment was, seems like a somewhat authoritarian way of handling criticism. Russia is using rape as part of a deliberate military strategy in Ukraine, right? This, I mean, this story completely fell apart. And all they're doing is pointing at the same body of evidence that that has been compromised by the people involved from before. Russian troops have raped more than 100 Ukrainians with victims as young as four. This is what he's saying. The Daily Mail's article he's pointing at. But again, don't forget what he's showing you here, that her, she herself was involved with this exact group. That's important to understand. So that's where this information is coming from. Here's the Daily Mail. Russian troops have raped more than 100 Ukrainians with victims as young as four. And it claims troops equipped with Viagra. Now, apparently, as far as I could tell, that claim came from the mouth of one of these members. I can't find any mention of Viagra in any of the reports. Screams dishonesty to me. Here's what it says. Um, oh, wait. Okay. She added that reported cases are only the tip of the iceberg. Survivors of the occupation. So, again, so the reality is Ukraine takes back over an area. The very Ukraine military that we've clearly shown you what they are, what they want to do, what they say they want to do, and how they act on it regularly, daily. Not every single person in the government and the, and the military, but the vast majority of them openly espousing fascist, neo-Nazi, and outright Nazi mentalities, taking this out on the people on the ground. And I'll show you some evidence of it next, taken in conjunction with all the stuff we've already shown you over the process of the last year. But that these people are there by choice after the very openly fascist government continues to take control. So that might speak to the kind of people that they might be, maybe, or just that they're dug in and don't want to leave because they've lived there their whole lives. There's lots of possibilities, but it's up for question. It's saying survivors of the occupation have told Ru how Russian soldiers hunted down anyone suspected of working with the government or military to interrogate and torture. Some were ultimately killed. Now, it's very clear that Russian soldiers have been just like Ukrainian soldiers have taken people and, and interrogating them. But every time we have one of these articles, the people they speak to are the ones that were let go. And so they, well, they were almost going to kill me and they let us go. Okay. Well, that it seems interesting. Some were ultimately killed, but these are statements coming from, this is secondhand information coming from people that are being under the control of the Ukrainian government. That's, that's, that's simply that, that is questionable. Just like I would say, if it was the other way around, others told how soldiers came to their homes beat or rape them, stole, and then fled as Ukraine's forces advanced. So this amounts to Daily Mail's statements coming from a report that then stems from state actors and people on the ground in Ukraine. That's what this is. So Daily Mail seems has have no, as long as it's under the auspices of the UN, it's absolute fact, despite how many times even the UN has stated things that are blatantly wrong. Kiev argues that Moscow is fighting a genocidal war aimed at, guess what? Wiping out their national identity. 
That's this is the kind of stuff that makes you it should make you laugh out loud. So Zelensky is arguing that what Moscow is trying to do is ethnically cleanse them by murdering innocents, deporting people into Russia and systematic rapes. So it's all about the bloodlines and the and the genetics, right? Because isn't that what clearly what Russian people and government are always talking about? Well, no, maybe that's what they think, but you can't. That's not anywhere that I can see. But you know where you can see it endlessly all the time in basically any conversation that the government and, or the corporate media is not highlighting by the current leadership of the Ukrainian government, the people involved with the local areas and the military themselves acting like we need to defend the bloodlines of Ukraine. We need to tend our genetic purity. I mean, that's exactly what it's talking about in those. We just went over this saying that they want to wipe out the Donbass region, that they want to preserve their nationality. I mean, right now, that's what they're framing in the Republican Party as white supremacy. That's how stupid this all is. Regardless, it's pretty ridiculous for them to point at them and say, they're doing exactly what we just said we want to do. Exactly what the Azov movement's documentation says they want to accomplish around the world. Right. I mean, it's that simple, guys. It's so stupidly obvious that this is whether you could argue it's exactly what Moscow wants to do. I don't see any proof of that. Certainly possible. But you can unequivocally prove that that is what most of the Ukrainian military, the Azov movements, Foboda, right sector, all of them are openly saying they want to accomplish. And the media just ignores it and says you're misunderstanding them. Of course, Putin denies that his armed forces are deliberately targeting targeting civilians. And the bottom line is there is zero benefit to them doing that. Doesn't mean they're not doing it. But when you have a situation where you can't see a logical, strategical reason, especially from somebody like Russia's government that has shown throughout Syria and other issues that they are conducting themselves very strategically, you should question it at the very least until you can prove it. Right. And on the other side of this, you can prove, prove that the Ukrainian military is actively targeting civilians. It's even been mentioned on corporate media. We just saw the woman get censored on her own station for saying they were targeting hospitals. It just never ends. It's very simple. Simple. Now, here is the UN article, or rather the report from December 27th, the one that, that we're referencing that was supposed to be the end of September. Now, this is from the uh, HRMMU, the Human Rights Monitoring Mission for Ukraine. Ongoing and armed attacks by Russia against Ukraine have led to devastating human rights abuses there. Like this, so we're not even engaging with the Ukrainian war crimes that have been documented, proven by international observers, by by video, by admission. Nah, nothing. We don't even met. We barely mention it. Highlighting a wide range of violations of international human rights and humanitarian law, the report notes multiple cases of willful killings, arbitrary detention, enforced disappearances torture, ill-treatment, and conflict-related sexual violence. But what's interesting is they frame it up here as Russia against Ukraine. But there are a couple of mentions, like, for instance, it says right here, they also found that Ukraine prisoners of war were subject to torture and cruel and degrading treatment, which is certainly possible. I wouldn't doubt it. Meanwhile, some Russian POWs were tortured and ill-treatment by Ukraine armed forces as well. That's, they, so, okay, well, they're doing it too, Okay. We really frame it only on one side, but this statement, I think, is where they're pulling all of this. It doesn't say one or the other. So as much as they make it right here specifically about you, Russia against Ukraine, this clear, clearly seems to be about Ukraine in general. The pattern of rights abuses continues in Ukraine, right? So this statement doesn't differentiate or doesn't say which one they're aiming it at. It simply says the council also documented cases of rape, including of one girl, sexual violence used as torture or ill treatment against men, forced public stripping. And uh, by the way, forced public stripping, that's the Ukrainian military. Simple. 
and other forms of sexual violence, such as forced nudity, unwanted sexual touching, sexual abuse, and threats of sexual violence. You could, I've, I've seen endless videos telling them about how they've been molested, abused, and, and in, in many different ways by the Ukrainian military when they were under their control. That just gets ignored. But my point is this statement does not seem to be one or the other, right? Because it goes on to say this about Ukraine, then it says Russians too. So it's interesting. And it says there must be timely and effective investigations into all allegations of violence, of violations of international humanitarian law and human rights law, including torture, ill treatment, arbitrary detention, so on, sexual violence, she continued, adding that regardless of their affiliation, perpetrators need to be duly prosecuted. Okay, interesting, right? So you can see that right next, they talk about both of them doing it. They say regardless of affiliation. This statement does not say one or the other. So shouldn't you be able to take that as it's just happening, that they've documented that there are cases in Ukraine? Right. Now, what's interesting to me is this does, it does seem very slanted towards a, pointing out Russia did stuff, right? But I think most of the mainstream corporate media is grabbing this and making it one side, despite the fact that it doesn't really state one side or the other, at least in that one report. But my point here is not that there's you know, that kind of sidestep is really that when you can look at what this group that they're framing really is the hrmmu the human rights the united nations human rights monitoring mission in ukraine was created in ukraine in 2014 right weird timing right not really right after the regime change so they set up their puppet entities with the aim of monitoring and advocating for human rights in ukraine sure right so they murder people and frame it on the other side and then set up human rights watches, right? Because they care. Don't dispute that, guys. That's the fact. And we can prove that with the phone call where they admit, yes, we know they wasn't the side we said it was. That's on the record between Estonian member of parliament and the EU chief commissioner, I believe. And they're, and I've, I've played it many times. I'm not going to play it again. I've played it too many times. But the point is that they are on the record. We know that it was not the government. It was the government supported by the United States. That's what the group that shot people. And that's proven just like we see in Syria and elsewhere. And people are beginning to wake up to this stuff. But it says in particular, in looking for accountability for the events of the revolutionary revolution of dignity. And monitoring the parts of Donbass and Crimea. Right. Okay. So if you need any more evidence, it's it's right. There's all you need is what I should have said. How much we have proven long before now, but especially now that the Donbass region has been there's so many crimes being committed there, it's disgusting. So, where were all the reports? Right? Because this is the same group that's supposed to be monitoring the war crimes and human rights violations in Donbass. Well, all they can say is that's not happening. So, there you go. This group is not legitimate for many reasons, but that's one of the most obvious here is what I think is in a telling one. Now guys, this is, by the way, this is on top of, the, of what. Wyatt pointed out that that's very clear that they state undeniably that this information is coming from state actors and secondhand information. That's what it is. But here's what it says. This is on the UN's website. It says the OHR, this is about the, the human rights monitoring field presences. The field presence monitor the human rights situation. What here, let me just, I can show you what the, I forget what the acronym stands for. It's the, where is it? Why wouldn't it state it right there? Come on. <laughs> the OH, hold on. Not that it's necessarily important, but now I want to remember what it is. It is the, oh, for crying out loud, why would it not state it right there? 
that am I crazy? That's strange, isn't it? It's the O H C H R. Anyway, I'm gonna that drives me bananas when I can't figure find out where it is. I just can't remember the acronym. Let me just do this real quick. Oh, whatever. I'm going to skip it. Somebody in the chat, let me know if you know what that stands for. I had it right here. Office of the High Commissioner on Human Rights. Thank God. It's going to drive me crazy. I can't stand that. I looked it up earlier. I just forgot. But okay, so the point was the High Commissioner. It's for it's the UN. And it's saying, monitor the human rights situation. This group provides technical human rights advice, implements technical cooperation projects, undertake, you know, so on and so on and so on at a national level. Here's the point. While the mandate of this group field presence is based on the general mandate of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, each type of field presence has specific arrangements with the, and agreements defining more specifically its activities in a country or region. Country offices are established through host country agreements between essentially the UN and the host government. So at the end of the day, all this group is, is, an, is a group set up in, in conjunction with the Ukrainian government. And the UN and the UN's got a person who monitor who who engages with them, but this is an, an, a local entity. Such agreements are also used to establish regional offices. Right, so there's an office in Ukraine run by the Ukrainian government, following consultations with countries in the region. Human rights components of the UN peace and political missions, like the missions themselves, derive their mandate from Security Council resolutions, which the UN, or rather the US and other groups, regularly ignore. But here, my point overall is that there's no reason that we should take this at face value with everything else that's happening on top of the fact that all they're essentially doing is saying Ukraine said, which is what we keep telling you. And it's easy to prove. Now, if you want to see more evidence of what has been going on, right? This is my point from before, right? So they're supposed to be monitoring Donbass, right? Well, why didn't they say something about this involving the very group that the, that the, the Zelensky regime let out of prison? The Tornado Battalion, one of the most extremist entities there. And they let them out. And now they're working with them. Again, by the way, this is evidence of ethnic cleansing. It wrote, it, they write as reluctantly documented by the OSCE in 2015. A mine shaft found packed with young girls at the hands of the now free Tornado Battalion. If this is what's re- recorded on the land, liberate... Uh, liberated by the dpr in 2015 imagine what other atrocities will be found now of course to be fair this is the don this is the the donbass uh, the donetsk uh, republic i believe forces that were uncovering this so you could argue that they made it up whatever that's, that's a fair question to ask but with everything else we have in front of us it's undeniably clear that this is what they're capable of and have already done so polio sipana in spring 2015, Donbass militiamen made fines like this in dozens of settlements from which Ukrainian nationalist battalions had been ousted. By this time, they had already been officially incorporated into the Ukrainian army. Now, here's a point to make, by the way. This was getting zero attention at this time. Right. There, nobody cared, which is disgusting. Eva Bartlett's been screaming about this the whole time. Like it didn't just start. They've been being da- ethnically cleansed for eight plus years. Right. So the real point to make is that there's no reason that they would make this up at this time. This wasn't a gigantically propagandized topic. Nobody was paying attention. This is simply them finding dead bodies in areas they take back from the Ukrainian regime that at this point was controlled by the U.S. government and still is. Right. So 
think about how that changes the way this works. Only now is it being looked back at. At that time, they had no reason to make up an entire story because they, as far as they were concerned, nobody even knew what was happening. For those in the podcast, it's rough. They're just talking about, you know, smelling the dead bodies and finding the young girls and these it's 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 terrible. Они похищали окрестных сел молодых девушек, держали у себя, потому что потом мы нашли еще комнату, прям надпись такая. And think about the human trafficking. It always goes on in war zones. And the, the discussion we already had about the overlap with Poland. And now there was all these very suspicious things going on. The increase of the trafficking itself has been documented. And now they're all driving these odd Mercedes Benzes. And, you know, and that there's been this a weird overlap with the people that were supposedly refugees doing the same, driving around in Mercedes Benzes. And how does that make sense? There's more going on here than we realize. And if you think for one second that these extremists wouldn't be trafficking young girls at every possible moment, then you don't know what extremists are like. I mean, this is what these people have done before. I've been, it's, I mean, the, I think it was the, actually, it might've even been the same group. This is the group we're, we're playing this from. This is the, the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And I believe that might've even been the same group that was documented this before, but talking about the overlap of this exact problem, the trafficking from, I think it was 2016, from the Ukrainian government they were involved with and Poland, and they were acting like they had no idea you can't miss it. That is a time when it was under the control of the West. Why would it stop now? Pregnant women. kind of seems to overlap with the mass grave discussion that we keep seeing, right? It's been proven. To, Eva Bartlett covered the story. They lied about one. You find the others they don't talk about. It's, it's just, it's such an obvious overlap that they're accusing them of that which they are guilty, right? I mean, it's an easy way to play this game. We're going to get into the dirty bomb conversation next. That's how this whole world works now, right? They're, no, they're doing it. And they're, they're, they're accusing us of creating it because they're about to do it. And then it's the other way around. No, they're doing that. And then it becomes meaningless. So everyone's got a dispute, right? It's like elections these days. Everyone says they're, you're, you know, you won. Oh, you cheated. It's fake because of this. And it doesn't even have to be, it's everywhere. Even though that is very true and valid. Everyone's trying to cheat. It's ridiculous that everything's in question all the time now. If you lose, you just accuse them of cheating. If you know, in this case, they, it's, it just never ends. It's, it's infuriating that we continue to see this, that they, remember in the beginning with Ned Price. Oh, they're going to do false flags and crisis actors. You know, they've been setting this tone from the beginning. And I think it's very clearly because they planned, in my opinion, on carrying these things out. And they set the tone just like they always do, that it was going to be them that did it. Right. If you want to start, if you want to see a beginning to that, it started with the U.S. government, as it always seems to. 
they set that tone. They said they will use false flags and crisis actors. And now we roll into the story. So it didn't start with Russia accusing them of doing it, which is how that would have worked. If they're the ones setting this up, they would have been like, they're going to do this and then they would do it. Right. It's just it's flimsy. They're losing the information war. I think that's very clear. But it goes on to point out Nazi battalions went door to door checking IDs, taking people to the Mariupol airport. Mariupol airport. Remember that? Where, where they claimed it was not what was happening. Mariupol airport was where these people were held. And plenty of them have been admitting that when they left. But that was another story that they shouted down because the corporate media was doing what they were told. They poured water on the floor they, 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 where they threw me in, and linked my genitals to a welding machine. I mean, this stuff is rough, man. I mean, you, you feel free to watch through this. It is horrific. And again, this is documented by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe before this was a public gigantic story. Here's Wyatt Reed pointing out rare footage of Ukrainians having their human rights respected in public. Now, we've seen this the whole time, right? We've watched as essentially... Remember, or actually, remember in the beginning, we saw the people tied to the lamppost and all the corporate media said was that it was a fake. Remember that? And then it turned out that was literally what the Ukrainian military had been doing long before this started. And now we see videos everywhere and they just pretend it's not there. Yeah, this is your democracy. And here's another point to make, by the way. These are the kind of people that stay back with the fascists, right? The kind of people that would be okay doing this to a person because they're Russian, right? That's, that's the kind of people that continue to live under the rule of these kind of other, these fascist entities. Now, or again, I'll always add the people that just are dug in and just, just resigned to live there because they're old and they never want to leave. Mostly, I argue people that remain with what is going on there are the people that are okay with that. That'd be my guess. And it is a guess. I realize there's no denying this. These are Russian people that are being, manip that are, you know, tied to posts and being manipulated. Like, are we going to pretend woman, that if a woman is like that, the men wouldn't do something to her? I mean, guys, this is happening. Now, you can argue, by the way, that the Russians are doing it too. I'd love to see some evidence of that. <laughs> I mean, you get the point. It goes on and on. Now here, Citizen Free Press points out, the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne is practicing for war with Russia. You know, normal stuff, right? Just pret pretending to drop nuclear bombs on Europe, practicing on war just miles from Ukraine's border. No big deal. Just normal stuff. Of course, if Russia sneezes too hard, everyone screams nuclear war. Oh, my God, look at them. They're crouching past their own border. Right. This is the U.S. government on the other side of the world pretending to attack Russia. And that's not an act, not a provocation. Like, could you even imagine if this was in reverse? If Russia flew to Mexico and started doing this right on the border of the United States? Oh, my God. People would they would lose their minds. Why is one OK? Not the other. Oh, that's right. I forgot because one side's the good guy. One side's the bad guy because we're in kindergarten, right? Quote, the U.S. Army's 101st Airborne is practicing for war with Russia just miles from Ukraine's border. Here's the, here's the video. At a forward operating site, we watched as U.S. soldiers and Romanian troops pounded targets in a joint ground and air assault. 
the tank rounds and artillery fire are real. So is the enemy, meant to recreate the fight against Russian forces in Ukraine. A message to Russia and NATO allies alike, we're here. The real meaning for me to have the American troops here is like if you were to have allies in Normandy before any enemy was there. Remember when they said that would never happen? Remember when they said that? When they said, oh, U.S. not involved, it's not our war. Right, U.S. front line. That's what this is. And by the way, always has been. The CIA has been present since long before 2014, but they were very clearly beginning the argument where they were setting up the idea, which was supposed to be an insurrection long before this. Foreign Policy wrote an article about it 2018, for crying out loud. I mean, or I think it was 2018. Regardless, they wrote about it before this started. They told you what they wanted this to be. They told you they had been planning this. They had been preparing for this. The CIA was making this happen. It was, it was all written down. This is ridiculous. And now they're on the front line pretending to bomb Russia. I just, again, think about how that would be framed by the childish, freaking out corporate media if this was in reverse. Both of them should be called what they are, a provocation. That's it. They're, they're doing this to, to, to draw action, to make a threat. This is not what you would do if you're pretending to play the peacemaker. Because I say pretending because they're not even remotely actually doing that. But they're really trying to pretend that, to act like they don't want this to be exactly what they're making it to be. But that's the obvious reality. When you pretend to bomb with nuclear weapons, that's a threat. That's meant to be driving action. In all, roughly 4,700 soldiers of the 101st Screaming Eagles from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, have been deployed to reinforce NATO's eastern flank. Oh, right. So Ukraine's part of NATO now, right? Then Did you miss that? They're, they're, that's NATO, right? It's in NATO's eastern flank. So it's NATO's war. Ukraine's part of NATO. You see my point? So whether or not they act like this has happened, it's already there. That's why somebody even said they're already an honorary part of NATO. This Remember, the other thing they swore up and down was fake news and would never happen. Now has happened. <laughs> and it's always like that, right? From COVID to now, the thing they shout you down as an absolute maniac for 30 seconds later becomes you're crazy for thinking that shouldn't have happened. Like that guy's like that guy. Actually, I wonder if I still have that. That guy. Remember that that video we just played the other day? I mean, it really is incredible how ridiculous this has gotten. Like it, it, it's the one where he says, essentially, remember where? Yeah, right here. This is a great video. It's short. But it just it makes the point. And it's sometimes these things are so simple that they kind of need to be stated. So we just go, oh, right. That is exactly what's happening. Anyone notice this trend among some of our government experts lately? It starts off with them telling you a thing. If you question the thing, you will be mocked, ridiculed and potentially censored. It then turns out later that the thing that they told you wasn't quite as true as they promised you it would be. And when you point this out, they revert to telling you that, well, they never told you the thing that they told you. And then when you show them incontrovertible proof that they did, in fact, tell you the thing that they told you, they just suggest that you should be mocked, ridiculed, and potentially censored. I can't imagine why we don't trust these guys. <laughs> yeah, that applies to foreign policy too, right? I mean, it's, 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 damn, it's everywhere. Let's finish this video. You've had an opportunity to, to watch, observe, and possibly study the Russians. What do you think of them so far? So we're, uh, we're closely watching them. So we're building uh, objectives to... None of this should be taken at face value. This is garbage propaganda. Like, it could be true. But why anybody listens to this stuff and goes, oh, they genuinely tell... Like, this is co coordinated, planned across the board, right? Oh, you've learned a lot. Oh, we've learned a lot. Let me tell you what we've learned, John. You know, it's like... it's just pretty... Practice against that replicate exactly what's going on in Ukraine. We're the closest American unit to the fighting in Ukraine. And what does that feel like? What does that mean? It uh, keeps us on uh, keeps us on our toes, right? So, 
in Nate's mind. Ready to fight tonight. Yeah, yeah who cares? We got what we want from him. Move on. The message that we've heard repeatedly, it's not just about defending NATO territory, but if the fight escalates and NATO partners are under threat, they're fully prepared to cross over into Ukrainian territory if ordered to do so. Back to you in the studio. Which, that's a veiled threat. That's what it is. You push us, we're going to do this, right? Or whatever. You know, it's like, this is... If you, as, as anybody honest has been pointing out, if you wanted this to de-escalate because you truly cared about the people you claim you do, everything they're doing is the last thing you would do. What they're doing is guaranteeing this continues. By the way, which is why they've already earmarked money and funding for Ukraine all the way to 2030. I don't know how many times you make that clear. That's not a point that's getting enough attention. The Congress budget has already made clear they have earmarked tens of thousands, thousands. Not tens of thousands, but thousands of millions of dollars. That's how they write it down. $1,700 million all the way until 2030. Or rather, that one's for 2023. All 2030 was $3 million. But the year before, it was 233. For 2029, they have earmarked $233 million to fund Ukraine. Right? And, then, and now they're just finding justifications for it. Oh, here's $50 billion we're going to send today. It's all already set up. It's already planned out. If they were pretending like this was going to be something that would stop, they would be doing everything they could to have agreements, to peace deals. And exactly this is what this next point comes to. Jeffrey Sachs, which, by the way, in every one of these people that are like corporate kind of, you know, mainstream entities that are suddenly switching their tune, we should be skeptical. Doesn't mean you should ignore what they're saying, though. Right. Because it is certainly a possibility that some of these people this and it feels like this for me from him are just suddenly realizing how crazy wrong this has been and how obvious it really has become or maybe suddenly deciding they're going to be honest today. Who knows? Regardless of what the intention is behind it, which we should question. I can't stress that enough. What he says here is absolutely right and important. I hate the over the music. TikTok drives me crazy. They always put these ridiculous songs over it, which just ruin. He just let him say what he's going to say, but they put this like lens over it with the music. Nonetheless, he's talking about, I couldn't find the real clip, but it was, I would have shared that one where he talks about, the deal that was supposed the, the peace deal and why they don't want it. I mean, it's very obvious. And he seems to be pointing this stuff out like crazy today. 2021, Putin put forward security demands to the White House. They, at the core of them was don't expand NATO. I called the White House at the end of 2021 to beg them, negotiate. We shouldn't be expanding NATO anyway. Negotiate. And I was told, no, we have an open door policy, which means that anyone that wants to join NATO can join NATO. And I said, that's crazy. This isn't a right. This is a threat to another country. This isn't about rights. This is about the effects on the neighbors. And I said, do you believe that Mexico has the right to have a military alliance with China? I don't think so. Think about how see, that's that's intelligent. That's the great point. Just because you're, oh, wait, China bad and your reflexive two party paradigm mindset that it's it doesn't matter. That's valid. One is you can't pretend that you're it's their right to do that and then say what the other ones can't though because we don't like them and we don't think that's fair or whatever it's not rooted in policy in fact in in equality and equity or whatever the garbage they're spitting today 
That's that's them using that argument to frame why they claim Ukraine should be able to do whatever they want. But the moment it applies to someone that they don't like, they just have another excuse for why it doesn't apply. It's the exact same thing. It's like ignoring the Donbass having their own referendum, uh, international observers observing that it is accurate and the vote that then allowed them to be part of Russia. But then and then and claiming that's fake and illegitimate, but then claiming that Taiwan, who has not gone through any of that, is independent simply because you say so. I mean, th- th- that is the, that's the case. But then the argument becomes, well, does not Taiwan deserve their freedom? That's, no one's, of course they do. But you see, that's not the fair, that's not the argument. That's you sidestepping the argument. Why is one different? They're not. It's just subjective and hypocritical. The problem today is that they push these things in on these moral grounds and act like you're a maniac, bad person, killing grandma or whatever else because you say the wrong thing. But I see people breaking through like this. And it's making me hopeful. But that's what you say about Ukraine, that they have the right to have a military alliance with the United States. I said, in any event, it's they can ask, but it's not prudent for us to do it. Well, the White House refused any negotiations. And then there are competing stories, and I won't go into all the details, but Putin invaded on February 24th. And uh, we've been escalating ever since. And the last week has been filled with news stories, these casual stories of will he or won't he use nuclear weapons as if, you know, we're trying to predict uh, the the, uh, outcome of the Super Bowl. It's bizarre to me. I've just never seen anything so reckless. And I have no confidence in the U.S. government, no confidence uh, in what we're doing to uh, head this off because they're dead set on uh, doing whatever it takes, that's what they say all the time, whatever it takes to right. win this, for Ukraine to win this war. And since I don't think Russia is going to lose this war, short of nuclear war, to my mind, we're on a recipe of continued escalation. Well, at the very least, you should ask, like, it's, it's of course, it's possible that Russia could win, right? I mean, you can't say that you can't, that's not possible. So that, to think about what they're saying, that it doesn't matter. So we will keep doing this forever if that's the case just like we're seeing in syria they clearly lost but they're just going to make sure syria's destabilized forever until we just forget that they're stealing their wheat and oil and burning what's left right because it's for freedom right or rather for a child stomping their feet saying i didn't get what i want so i'm gonna burn your wheat fields because i'm you know i mean that that's it's crazy so what he's simply saying there is that they are committed to maintaining this at all costs forever because, again, I agree with him. I don't think this is going to, unless they step in themselves physically, and that becomes the world war that everyone's concerned about, which, by the way, again, is already essentially happening. It's just that the narrative needs to update that, that they're telling you this is not about independent for freedom or peace or anything like that. And people like him are beginning to call this out. And here's another clip that I think is very interesting. Tim Anderson points it out. Not necessarily that I agree, by the way, with everything he says in this. That's that should always be the case because I'm playing a clip doesn't mean that I wholeheartedly agree with everything they've ever said or what they're saying entirely. But it's just the fact that he's saying some things that put people in, on edge, especially the New York Times monitor or a moderator, excuse me, which is hilarious. Watch the way this guy loses his mind like a child, literally like a child. Now, he says Jeffrey Sachs on the USA. He says, from a World Bank bureaucrat in the 90s, Sachs has learned perspective in his old age, this is what, his, what he thinks, and how to speak directly in a way that is still unacceptable, in quotes, in most Western circles. Watch the moderator cringe. This guy, it's, it, it's, it's I mean, the sad part is that the crowd cheers that he gets shut down. 
but it's very telling. And I, what he's saying here is, for the most part, about least foreign policy is undeniable if you're honest with yourself. When I look at my own country, the United States, it is a semi-democratic, white-dominated, hierarchical, racist society that aims to preserve privilege by the elites. That's how it was formed in 1787. Now, for just real quickly, to, to separate those things out, because I know people, and rightly so, everyone's very on guard when it comes to racism and how that's being used. Now, what he's kind of saying, though, is it's going the other direction. Not necessarily that, you know, we're racist and it's all a white-dominated thing, and therefore here's why we need... What he's saying is the elitists are the ones keeping that. At least that's what I take from that. Which, by the way, I wouldn't disagree with that necessarily. That they're the ones... It's sort of like what we're going to get to at the end today, that they're arguably maintaining world hunger when I could prove to you that it could be stopped right now today with what we waste. I've made that argument many times. So instead they want to revolutionize everything instead of just using what's currently available. That tells you something, but the idea is that they want to maintain world hunger because it benefits them. It's interesting argument. And I'll I'll show you that. But so the same kind of thing here is that the elitists are the one maintaining this while claiming they want something else. So let me start it over, but factor that in. I think that's an interesting point to make there. You could disagree with whether it's a white dominated racist country, but the point is what he says next. My own country, the United States, it is a semi-democratic, white dominated, hierarchical, racist society that aims to preserve privilege by the elites. That's how it was formed in 1787. It was a slave-owning, genocidal country, killing Native Americans for a white culture. But amazingly, it still looks that way, although we're much more diverse now than we were. Let, so let me ask you this, Jeff, out, because this is... I, 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 I okay. want to point out that these are deep <laughs> not, cultural not distinctions. Right. But we shouldn't just simplify because we say democracy and blah, and you know these are <laughs> yes it's important what's important is actually the details as i mentioned last right. night plato uh, democracy that was the last thing on his mind mm-hmm. that was the enemy the the plus was a philosopher king of uh-huh. course right in in the republic and for aristotle it was much more subtle and complex of a system of governance that mixed governance by the one, by the few, and by the many, but on the good side of the ledger. And one more point I want to make about democracy, because we're in a democracy forum where we, we treat democracy as the good. The most violent country in the world in the 19th century, by far, was perhaps the most democratic or second most democratic, and that was Britain. You can be democratic at home and ruthlessly imperial abroad. Now, what's funny is the moderator is totally okay with that. Now, when he gets to the reality of today, suddenly he's not okay with that. These are supposed to be the journalists and objective people. The most violent country in the world since 1950 has been the United States. Jeff, let's, Jeffrey, stop now. Let's, let's, Jeffrey, I'm, Jeffrey, I'm your moderator, and it's enough. Okay, I'm done. Wow. Now, actually, I don't know whether they're clapping for what he said, 
or the fact that he was stopped. I can't be sure about that because, you know, I think more, I think people are more open to these kind of things, especially from the younger crowd than we realize. But the idea is that, I mean, you can't deny this. That's the crazy part about this. Anybody who says that the U.S. government has not been the most violent country, this, I mean, you're blat- you're, it's childishly stupid to say that that's not the case. You can argue that they tried to do good or that that was a means to an end for freedom or whatever, but you can't, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous to stand here and act like that what, Syria was a success or that Iraq was a success, that Afghanistan was a success or that Libya was a success or that every other thing that they continue to destroy was somehow beneficial to people. Right. I mean, or like John Bolton stupidly standing up and arguing that these things were good and we should do them again. Like it's crazy madness. And the idea that we are this country, the government leading it is not the most violent thing on the planet today is simply false or inaccurate to say otherwise. There's plenty of arguments you can make on top of that. Sure. But that's the simple, obvious reality that people are beginning to understand or beginning to find is is are beginning to become more. Okay. What's the right word to say there? Not OK. I don't like the way it sounds to be more willing to have that argument today to state that in public settings but look at how that guy shut him down like like he was t- like a like a child i'm your moderator that's a moderate moderator moderator that's enough what do you mean that's enough he's not allowed to finish his point because you're offended by his statement i mean th- that's 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 that is childish that's what that is that guy did not like it so you're not allowed to say it because i'm say i'm in charge my ball you have to stop talking now you know it's just silly but this is the problem with where we are today. A lot of this is happening. And you're watching the elitists who are driving the idea, the completely out of whole cloth, like made up story fairy tale that we're leading some kind of democratic revolution. You're, you're seeing them stand up and, and, and almost desperately try to push forward the same agenda. And people aren't buying it. Look at the revolutions and the protests everywhere. People don't. They, I, and this is what I want you guys to see is that you are the majority today. I have been saying that, but I'm feeling quite confident that that is, in fact, the reality. And I just simply mean the people that are aware that we're being played now, whether it's COVID or Ukraine or whatever, people are getting a little suspicious. And I think it's because of how clumsy they've been. Well, here's Bernie's tweets pointing out citizens are rising all over the EU in response to the announcement that apparently they're now going to, even though they can't afford their own heating bills, which is happening right now. They'll have to donate 18 billion euros more of their money to Ukraine next year. Why? Because Vonderlin said so. Like, by the way, I just saw something else I didn't include today, but I saw a, a tweet about one of these refugee or not refugees, but the immigration areas in the United States. I mean, right this moment, they will vote down funding for the average American family. They have many times already from both sides, by the way. And they will continue to say, like, you guys can barely most people in this country are struggling Back almost back to the levels we were during the COVID lockdowns, and people can't feed their families, they can't pay for their heating bills, and yet they're funding these immigration tents with Xboxes and all sorts of old exercise stuff. I mean, it's crazy. Now, I'm not saying that the look, you know, my argument about why not what clearly the U.S. foreign policy is a, I would argue, the vast majority of why these people are fleeing from their destroyed countries. So there's there is a level of understanding that this that there's a culpability that the government, not you and your money, but the government's responsible for dealing with that. But at the end of the day, Americans in this country that are struggling because of their government's actions should be the very first thing they're dealing with. 
Now, by the way, I do take issue with people calling them illegals just because I think that's gross. The same way with them playing the game where they're sending them to Martha's Vineyard and then they're sending them back. And these are human lives, people, most of which are not just some political pawn. They're struggling because of people's the actions of governments that act like they're acting in your name. That's the important thing to remember. So when we realize these people are fleeing for whatever reason, you can argue that they shouldn't be giving them the things that they are or they should be going other places, but let's treat them like human beings. I mean, it just seems like the obvious reality. But here she is telling you that this is what's going to happen, right? To help their cost of living. We're helping the Ukrainian people, the ones that are left living under the fascist regime, apparently. We're going to take your tax dollars and fund them while people in the EU, by the way, far more than Americans at this point, are struggling dramatically with $10,000 energy bills. Um, as you know, we had agreed to have $9 billion of macrofinancial assistance to Ukraine, which will be partially uh, dispersed till the end of the year. Overall, so far, the European Union, the European level, have uh, supported Ukraine since the beginning of the year with, uh, with by now, 19 billion euros. But the focus was in the discussion more now of the, on uh, the year to come. It is very important for Ukraine to have a predictable and stable flow of income. Um, and therefore, we, um, we assume and uh, we, we, the Ukraine is telling us that they need approximately three to four billion euros per month wow. um, to, have for the, to, to have enough resources for the basics. And these three to four billion um, euros should be... Um, financed by the European Union, by our American friends, and by the financial institutions. Therefore, the discussion was about round about 1.5 billion per month for Ukraine financed by the European Union. So this would give overall a figure of 18 billion for the next year, an amount where then Ukraine can count on and where there's a stable and reliable, predictable flow of income. We have God, I just can't understand why people, I mean, this is my point. People in the country don't want that. They don't care what you want. They literally don't care. They're telling you, if you think we shouldn't be sending money to Ukraine, you're a bad person. It's your money, you understand. That's the incredible part. Again, here, I'll include this. This is the document from the Congressional Budget Office that makes it very clear. They have allotted funding, earmarked funding, all the way to 2030. $3 million. $233 $233 million for 2029, but next year, $1,749 million in 2023. That's just from the United States, by the way. So all of this is coming, all this money on top of billions from EU, billions from over here. Like we're watching a, uh, this is, I guarantee you this money's not going to Ukraine for Ukraine fighting Russia. There's so much money flying over the top. Most of this can't, there's no way. This is the largest transfer of wealth. This might even be more than what we saw during COVID-19. I mean, I'm blown away by how much money is flying over there. And here's the video if you want to watch it for yourself. Congress funds Ukraine to 2029, technically 2030, but, you know, just a large amount of it. But here is the main point to finish on, in, on, on the segment anyway, and then we'll finish off with the COVID-19 into the UN point. Russia's defense chief warns of dirty bomb provocation. This is today. So, of course, because Russia said so, you exactly what you might expect. Oh, that means that they're going to do it then. <laughs> That's what they, again, certainly could be, certainly possible, but that becomes the one thing that's absolutely ridiculously not possible is that Ukraine could do it, right? That's what the corporate media is going to tell you. That's crazy. That's fake news. The It's not possible. 
So it's fake news. The possibility that that's how ridiculous these people have gotten today. Russia's defense chief on Sunday alleged that Ukraine was preparing a provocation involving a radioactive device. Now, it's it, I'll, I'll get into it next, actually. Rejected by the Ukraine and British officials. Why? British officials, right? Because Britain knows? Britain somehow knows every single thing Ukraine's doing everywhere in the country? No, because they know they're not supposed to say that. They go, no, fake, fake, no matter what. Even if it's happening, that's fake news because that's what we're supposed to do. Britain speaks up. The U.S. government speaks up. Fake news, how dare you? That's all they do. And people buy it because they want to, even though they've already been caught lying about endless amounts of stories, very serious stories, by the way, so far. Russia's defense ministry said uh, they have concerns about possible Ukrainian provocations involving a dirty bomb. Now, what's interesting is it's apparently it's an explosive device that spreads radioactive waste, but it doesn't have the same devastating effect as a nuclear explosion. But still very dangerous. Now, don't forget, the U.S. government has been caught repeatedly for using depleted uranium munitions throughout Syria and Iraq and on and on and on. Those are gigantic war crimes they've never been held accountable for. Talk about, I mean, that is the kind of thing that is malicious. You're putting things on these bombs that don't need to be there so they, so these people are, I mean, what? So you annihilate their future generations? I mean, what's even the argument for why that would even happen? That, that's what it did happen, by the way. They're having cancers and long-term multi-generation problems because of that. That's the kind of thing we're seeing. That is what it looks like to attack an ethnicity, to attack the idea of their bloodlines or whatever the Ukrainians are saying. If that's Whether that's even what they wanted to do, that's what that amounts to. You are affecting them as a nationality. So is it that crazy to think they wouldn't be doing the same thing here? Where's the example of Russia doing stuff like that? Sure, you can go back to the Soviet Union, but that's not the same thing, right? What has this government done like that that you can see around the world? What countries have they invaded and overthrown? What countries have they completely decimated under the guise of freedom? In no way am I claiming they're not capable of it or that Russia's government is not doing their own things that they should be held accountable for. But please have some objectivity and compare what's going on around the world today. Russian authorities repeatedly have made allegations that Ukraine could detonate a dirty bomb and a false flag attack and blame it on Moscow. Okay, so that's possible, and we know that's possible, especially with how extremist these people are. But it's also possible that Moscow could be lying about this because they have designs to use something for some reason. But until I see the evidence of that and understand even remotely why that would be strategically beneficial to them, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, on the other way around, you know there's an endless amount of reasons why that would benefit the Ukrainian government right now. It would force the U.S. to involve itself more. They would use it to blame Russia and so on. Now, that's the one thing you could argue is they would use that to blame Ukraine and, and do what? They don't need more reason to push in. The, at this point, that's what they've expected Russia to do. They could have pushed in and taken all of Ukraine by now already, probably, or at least been you know dedicated to doing so, but they didn't. They stopped, they're, they're, that's, There's very big differences to the claims that they said Russia was trying to accomplish what ultimately happened. So simply by using a dirty bomb to say that's what they did, what does that gain them? They don't need that to use to, to push in further, right? So that matters. And you, they don't, there, there needs to be some kind of justification. Ultimately, to make allegations, I should say. There, there could be more to the story that we don't see. But at the end of the day, when you come to the story and that's all you have, well, you have to stand back and realize that it makes much more sense that Ukraine's government would be responsible for something like this. That's just my opinion, but that I think that's the easy reality. Doesn't mean they're not capable of it on the other side. Ukraine's authorities in turn have accused Kremlin of hatching the plot. And this is the this is the endless scenario. 
They're using a false flag and they're going to blame us. No, no, that's what they're doing. And then it becomes meaningless. No matter what happens, they'll say Russia did it. Russia will say Ukraine did it. And there you go. So narrative is all that matters. That's the point. The British Ministry of Defense noted, and by the way, that's why this concerns me so much, as I said before, because there's very clear reason why Ukraine's government and Zelensky would do this. Just like we told you in Syria, which, by the way, ended up happening. That the very clear reason is they said, if this happens, we're blaming Assad. And so the, the moderate rebels, which, of course, turned out to be extremist terrorists on the ground, which we should know now, did so. And what they do? They blamed Assad. Right? Don't think Ukraine's not learning that lesson. The British Ministry of Defense said that in a call with Wallace, they, quote, alleged that Ukraine was planning actions facilitated by Western countries including the UK, to escalate the conflict in Ukraine, which is exactly what the US government and the UK want. Very clearly, documentation before, think tanks, arguments, video, everything. That's what's very clearly. So there you go. That makes sense. Doesn't mean it's exactly what's happening. But you, as always, you have one side that really tends to add up with lots of talking points and added, and then you get narrative on the other side. Ukrainian President Zelensky asserted the international community was unlikely to believe the claims and implied that Moscow was setting the stage for deploying a radioactive device on Ukrainian soil. Of course, right? Show me some evidence. If Russia calls and says that Ukraine is allegedly preparing something, it means only one thing, Zelensky says, that Russia has already prepared all of it. There you go. We should question Russia's claims just as much. Russia's saying that they have evidence of this, but you know what they're going to do, as they always have, this is my opinion, is present you with something. Doesn't mean it's true. But why do we take Zelensky's narrative, who has been caught lying overly, over and over and over, at face value? I don't think we do. This concerns me a lot. Because this, even if it's not ultimately what they want, this the narrative of escalation is going to drive something. Just the idea that it's being discussed, and as Sachs points out, like they're predicting the Super Bowl, it's, it's almost far too cavalier. And I'm, I'm genuinely concerned about where this goes. Now, talking about manipulations and lies and at flat-out fabrications is the kind of thing we're talking about here. Let's talk about the, the COVID-19 part of this in regard to how they're manipulating you in similar ways, using false concepts, absolutely manufacturing concepts. Like, I mean, this does overlap to me in the idea of how they will manipulate you. If they're willing to do what you're going to see next, what would stop them from lying about anything, including what's going on in Ukraine? Now, what I'm talking about here is not necessarily the government, but high-level people potentially potentially using this kind of scam, which is what I do think is happening, to trick you into thinking this thing works. Now, you have to ask yourself why that would happen, the vaccine we're talking about, the injection. So that means, I would argue, that if this is what happened, that they knew it didn't work to begin with, which means there's something very nefarious in this, going on with this, meant to be used with it, or they used it and it showed to fail it showed did not work the way they wanted it to. And then this was used to cover that up. I mean, but it's hard because they sold you on this in the beginning. So I think it speaks to foreknowledge completely. Professor Norman Fenton points out, if a person vaxxed against a virus is classified as unvaccinated within the first two weeks, then even a placebo vax can be shown to be effective in observational trials, which is what we're talking about. And here's this presentation on this. And then we'll get into, on top of that, why the hiding the side effects is also adding to that, which you guys know by now, but I'll include it again in case those who haven't seen it. 
Hi, I'm Norman Fenson, and in this very short video, I'm going to show how easy it is to create the illusion of high efficacy for a treatment that actually has no efficacy at all, such as a placebo. It's a highly contrived and simplified example, but it illustrates a very real problem regarding the way claims of efficacy, for example for vaccines, are made in the real world. So imagine a non-fatal disease, which in every two-week period infects 10% of the people previously uninfected. So suppose people receive a vaccine that is supposed to protect against the disease two weeks after it's taken, but which is actually a placebo. We're going to observe some people who get the vaccine and some who don't. So here are 100 people we observe who get the vaccine and 100 who don't get the vaccine. So we know that in each group, 10%, that's 10 out of 100, are going to be infected in the first two weeks. So in the vaccine group, 10 out of the 100 are going to be infected. And in the no vaccine group, 10 out of the 100 are going to be affected because it's a placebo. It doesn't make any difference. Now, in each group, 10%, that's 9 out of the 90 previously uninfected, are going to be infected in weeks 3 to 4. So there's... Nine out of the remaining 90 in the vaccine group are going to get infected. And nine out of the remaining 90 in the no vaccine group are going to get infected. So overall, 19 out of 100 in each group get infected over the four-week period. And efficacy, which is defined as 1 minus the proportion of vaccinated infected over the proportion of unvaccinated infected as a percentage, is just 0%. But suppose those infected in the first two weeks after vaccination are classified as unvaccinated. Which they are, and we know that. Then we're going to move those 10 people from the vaccine group who were infected in the first two weeks and classify them as unvaccinated. And what does that mean? Well, overall now, 9 out of 90 are considered vaccinated or infected. That's 10%. But now, 29 out of 110 classified as unvaccinated are infected, and that's 26.4%. So the efficacy now is 62%. Look at, I mean, look at this. We're, we're, we're only halfway through this. That's just, that's the very beginning. It's already, you're talking about something that is a placebo. It's saline, or I guess during COVID-19, it's an meningitis vaccine, right? Because that makes sense. Everything's different during COVID narratives, but the point is supposed to be, <laughs> the reality, the reason they use meningitis vaccines for a supposed placebo was because it has its own side effects which then makes the side effects of the covid injection look less that's i'm not making that up by the way but the point is that saline which is supposed to be used as placebo in when doing it like this has a right now has a 62 percent efficacy you how that, that's what's happening that's a placebo that means it's supposed to be zero yet by simply using this two-week formula you can make it look like it's doing something Right now, what, what this also adds to the point about how um, the idea being that we remember how we have these studies where these numbers end up where like, why do we have 300 unvaccinated and 2000? Why wouldn't they just find the equal amount of people? Well, here's why. Because they're because you're taking people from one side and adding to the other and then acting like, you know, they do claim that we we, uh, you know, stratified or whatever the terms they use. But at the end of the day. Uh, we're proving this is happening today. Now, I can't prove this is happening in every study, but I can prove to you in the other side of this about the side effects that they're gaming this using the two to, two to three week period. This is just the way that they can game it before it even goes out into the world. 
But things can get even more ridiculous. So it's quite common for those who are classified as vaccinated, which in this case will be everyone who got the vaccine after two weeks, are less likely to be tested for the disease than those who don't get the vaccine. So, for example, in the big observational trial of the Pfizer vaccine in Israel, each unvaccinated person was six times more likely to be tested in any given week than a vaccinated person. So suppose only one in three of the vaccinated people get tested, then that leaves us with just three out of the 90 classified as vaccinated are found to be infected. Now, now to be clear, all you really need is that first part. 62% efficacious with a placebo. Now, this part, you could argue, well, that the study might not, they, the study may argue that they test equally the entire time. Well, still, even with that, understand that would still be 62% efficacious to for a placebo just by moving those over from the two-week category, right? So just understand that this part, I would argue that, you know, I guarantee there are some studies that made sure to test all of them the same amount because that would, I mean, that's what they should do. That's called being honest, right? But this just shows you how they wanted to, they could game it even more. And he references a study in there where they did find that was the case. So we only find 3.3% of the vaccinated who get infected. But of course, we've still got our 29 out of 110 unvaccinated who are infected, 26.4%. And now the efficacy has pushed up to 88%, even though it's simply a placebo. Turns out that things can get even more ridiculous if there are more vaccinated, say 500, than vaccinated. So here's our 500 in the vaccine group and 100 still in the no vaccine group. So 50 out of the 500 are going to be infected in weeks 0 to 2. There's the 50, and 10 out of the 100 are going to be infected in the vaccine group. But of course, 45 out of the 450 previously uninfected are going to be infected in weeks 3 to 4. There's our 45 coming down there. And 9 out of 10 previously uninfected from the no vaccine group could be affected in weeks three to four. So they come down there. So again, those infected in the first two weeks after vaccination are classified as unvaccinated. So they all get moved over there. So over here, we've got 45 out of the 450 vaccinated infected. That's the same 10%. But over here, we've got 69 out of 150 unvaccinated are infected. That's 46%. And the efficacy is already up to 78%. And of course, if we only tested a third of the unvaccinated, that efficacy will go up even higher. Now, you know, this is so very telling. I mean, it's so important to understand how this works. And, and look at these studies, by the way. You will find almost always that you'll f- they'll have a high, much higher group on the, ba- on the injected side. And their argument is, well, there's just more people injected in the population, and therefore we could, okay, fine. But then they even up. But they, they still play this game. They still, even if they, you know, stratify it by, you know, where they're, what's that? That's not the right word. Where they're, uh, I'm just blanking on the word. You know, where you basically you break it down by uh, uh, relative, dang it, what's the word they use in the, in the I'm just blanking on the term. Where essentially, if you have two numbers that aren't exactly the same, you can test them equally by, you know, equivalent it, making equivalent, uh, an equivalent, I don't know why I can't think of the word. Regardless, you get my point. The idea is that they they can equal it out. So if you're looking at two different numbers, you can end up having the study be equal, even though they're different numbers. The point is they do that, and they argue it's well because everyone's vaccinated and not everyone's not. Okay, fine. But they still then take that larger portion from the one side that has a higher number, like he just showed you, and dump it over into that side when it's unvaccinated. And you'll find it everywhere. 
Un, I mean, everywhere. I've been pointing this out for the whole time, and I just didn't really connect this idea of how that works. This is why it takes people from the inside to point these things out sometimes. Now, the important part about this, thank you, Professor, for making this clear. Oh, I, didn't, I forgot to share that. The important part is on top of that, right? So here we have a situation where just simply having a study where you use that two-week period and move them over can guarantee you have an efficacy for a placebo. You then realize that if you do that with a real shot that does have some level of efficacy, you would argue, you then also hide the problems on the other side of it. This is what you already know, right? This is the point. So this is the Alberta study or report that they already hid and deleted. This is on the way back machine, which we already know. Every one of these places, public health of Scotland uses 21 days. It says that they were, in this case, we're talking cases, they were either unvaccinated or diagnosed within two weeks. So showing you that those mean the same thing for this report. You're either unvaccinated or diagnosed within two weeks, which means the same thing, or either hospitalizations or death. Same thing. One or the other, or the same. They're both the same. So then the point is that you've seen many times at the bottom, this is the time from the first dose and the second dose immunization. And it's cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. And all it's showing you, this is the second dose, this is the first dose. But look at the first dose. Look at how crazy it is, right? The first dose, which is where the vast majority of these problems come from. Within the first 21 days, most of the first 14 days, the vast majority of these cases happen. First 14 days, the vast majority of hospitalizations happen. And the first 14 days, the vast majority of deaths happen. All of those get classified as unvaccinated. That's a game that they know and are hiding from you. So not only are they increasing the efficacy of something that's clearly not working, they hide the problems, which would make it even less efficacious by doing the same afterward. There you go. Simple as could possibly be, and it's very obvious. Now, on top of that, remember that they're using, when they talk about efficacy, even using the same game, remember what they're talking about when they do that. It's relative risk reduction, not absolute. And that's another reason that they game you. All those three things together, it's just impossible to miss. You have the right to know the potential benefit of any intervention. For example, Pfizer reported that its vaccine shows a 95% efficacy. That sounds like it protects you 95% of the time, right? But that's not actually what that number means. That 95% refers to the relative risk reduction, but it doesn't tell you how much your overall risk is reduced by vaccination. For that, we need absolute risk reduction. In the Pfizer trial, 8 out of 18,198 people who were given the vaccine developed COVID-19. In the unvaccinated placebo group, 162 people got it, which means that even without the vaccine, the risk of contracting COVID-19 was extremely low at 0.88%, which the vaccine then reduced to 0.04%. So the net benefit, or the absolute risk reduction that you're being offered with a Pfizer vaccine is 0.84%. That 95% number? That refers to the relative difference between 0.88 and 0.04%. That's what they call 95% relative risk reduction. And relative risk reduction is well known to be a misleading number, which is why the FDA recommends using absolute risk reduction instead. Which begs the question, how many people would have chosen to take the COVID-19 vaccines had they understood that they offered less than 1% benefit? Hmm. Probably none. Right. Well, here on top of that, taking the, all of that in conjunction with the reality that COVID-19, if it's even really in front of you, is dramatically less than the flu for almost everybody. 
This is just a reiteration from brownstone.org of the study we already talked about. It's, it is a preprint, but there's alliance with many other examples, such as the Oxford calculator, right? You know, that classically conspiracy theorist anti-science outlet called Oxford, right? They're the ones telling you that for under 19, it's, le- it's a one in a million chance, right? So here, this is, uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm still following her. I'm trying to remember to refollow everybody still after the other count got axed. But uh, she is reporting, uh, Colin Dever, MD, new Stanford professor, uh, Ioannidis study. Those, and this was the point in the study itself, which we already went over. Those for age zero to 69, which covers 94% of the global population, 94% of the population in general, the infection fatality rate was 0.095%, meaning the survival rate for those infected with COVID pre-vaccination for nearly 7.3 billion people was 99.905%. And yet they forced this on everybody. And gave them one in 3,000 myocarditis risk along with just about everything you could possibly imagine, exacerbating everything they already had, adding their, destroying their immune system, increasing risk of cancer, Bell's palsy, strokes, heart attacks, everything. For 99.905% survival rate. I mean, it's just criminal, absolutely criminal. And that's what people doc, like people, people like Dr. Asim Moholtra have been speaking up. And again, like I said before, Skeptical. You should be skeptical of anybody coming out like this now, but you should also listen to what he's saying. Has Big Pharma hijacked evidence-based medicine? Yes. <laughs> Simple. Over. Uncovering mRNA product data. Join me on Monday, he says, and this, he's going to basically talk about the same point, and he outlines what he's going to get into. The bottom line is just showing you how Big Pharma has completely hijacked evidence-based medicine, and this is not just from COVID. Here's a couple of things I'll include. I won't go through them in depth because it's a lot of information for the show today. Deconstructing evidence-based medicine. Alexandros Marinos points out, this from the inside out, he says a thread. At first, I was shocked with what I was finding. How could anyone not have seen this? But guess what? As you should be seeing now from all this stuff, he was wrong. People have definitely been seeing it and spoken out about it in peer-reviewed journals. Except nobody in power cares, just like we're seeing right now. Peer-reviewed journals through the through the from the coming out of the woodwork, and we about natural immunity and and ivermectin and everything else they just go fake news because the people in power don't care they've already hijacked they've used this system to lie to you so this thread's good it's got a lot of great information exactly but the truth is it's obvious here's toby young how much can we trust peer view now the point is just like the same point we make it from the beginning whether peer viewed or not it's it's a scientific study engage with it like you would anything else whether it's a preprint peer viewed or not is it following the scientific method? Are they being objective? Can you look? You know, the point is, all of it should be addressed like that. The problem today is that they want to tell you the study we like, which says what we think you have to listen to because science. But then we show a peer reviewed study from over here and they go, no, that's debunked and fake because whatever, fill in the blank. That's how childish this is. The reality is, you should look at all of them and consider them yourself. But remember, they tell you you're too stupid to read these things and you're a conspiracy theorist if you do your own research. Except now they want to go, well, didn't you know it doesn't stop transmission? Why didn't you read the study? <laughs> didn't you just tell us we were crazy if we did read the study? Oops, right? They're, they're, they've lost control of this a long time ago. The reality is a new study finds that only 23% of reviewers say reject when a paper has a Nobel Prize winner on it. So they're influenced by clout. Big surprise. But 65% say reject when the same paper with the same information was authored by an unknown researcher. It shows you right there. I argue that's not even nefarious to some degree. They just, that's, they're influenced by clout. That's how it's been created by the powerful people that are guiding the whole thing. 
Well, here's an example of this, right? Guess who this is? Vicky Mayo making a fool of herself from Imperial College of London. Big surprise. <laughs> Guess what she says? This is in regard to the study. Dr. Malter pointed this out, and this is using Dr. Campbell's video. Or is Dr. John Campbell? I forget. I thought he's a doctor, right? John Campbell, regardless. The, the guy, I'm pretty sure he's a doctor. The point is that he's showing you the, neo, the, the neonatal death, the stillbirths in Scotland, and how they're not research. They're, they're not that they found that it wasn't true. They refused to investigate because they didn't found they didn't think it was necessary. That's the I'll prove it to you yet again, and that's exactly what he finds here. Now you actually listen to this. Just the way he covers this is pretty telling from somebody like him. So uh, NHS, this is a freedom of information response here from Public Health Scotland. We do not have any plans to examine maternal vaccination status as there is no public health reason to do so. So it's reassuring to note, isn't it, that public health uh, Scotland can be so confident in the safety of the uh, vaccines. <laughs> nothing like a nothing like a good, you know, prominent silence to, <laughs> to accentuate the point. Right. Or accentuate. Right. Yeah. The, the bottom line is, he's, you know, he's doing that to be like, this is patently ridiculous. So not only does he state what it says, this, his video includes the source material. And Dr. Asimo Holtra shares it who is another highly regarded doctor, right? So this immunologist working on pregnancy at Imperial College of London, who also argues that they should get shots while they're pregnant, despite the fact that there's zero evidence to show whether that's safe or not, you know, because she's an expert, right? Because she knows that that's not there, but says it anyway, because that's smart, apparently. But here's what she says. COVID vaccination has been investigated with respect to prenatal deaths in Scotland. Okay, so just saying the opposite. Okay, a link ruled out and the analysis published. She, I don't, she doesn't, I don't think she even fully realizes how stupid and what a follower she just made herself look like. This is my point about these. I'm not saying she's not educated or that she doesn't have expertise in topics around immunology, but she is proving to you that she follows the people she was told she's supposed to listen to. And guess what? Doesn't even read the content. You know how I know that? Because she's claiming that they did investigate and just ruled it out. You know why? Because she skimmed the headline like I told you they would, and says it. She's proving my point right here. Seems pretty transparent to me. That's what she says. And she simply, under his video, population level data from Scotland shows that this is, okay, so what she's simply pointing at is something from nature that's not related to this, which is truly valid. You should take into context what the nature study is finding, but I can show you an endless amount of research in the same way that very clearly finds very obvious evidence, even from Pfizer's own study, right? So that's my point about getting into the peer review process and how it can be manipulated. Some of them might, some of them have to be wrong. Could be the one I'm holding. I don't know, but I'm willing to be objective about the fact that that's the case. She's not, but here's the point. Not that she's citing something from nature and then claiming that apparently Scotland, that they have been investigated and that Scotland ruled it out. Well, oh, first, well, this to be clear, by the way, I'll, I'll read this next after that part. So here is Emma, Emma Kenny, the one we referenced the other day, also from corporate media, saying, to be clear, the, the COVID vaccine wasn't ruled out as the cause. They chose not to look at the correlation. Now, that's just what she's saying. Well, let's look at what the Herald has to say. We just went over this. 
So don't forget, this expert at Imperial College of London who is openly challenging Malhotra by saying, you're simply wrong. They, they did investigate and they ruled it out. Here's the truth. Experts stressed there was no plausible link between the unusually high levels of mortality among newborns in September last year and March to justify investigating the maternal vaccine status. Are we confused about that? They're saying we don't need to research it because there's no plausible link there. Okay. Has been investigated. A link ruled out. You see my point? She works for Imperial College of London. These are the people we are shouted down to listen to. She didn't even look at it. She simply ruled, read the title. Vaccines ruled out. The first paragraph makes it clear that they didn't even investigate. She certainly claims they did. You know who else is going to share that? Anybody that follows her and takes her word as gospel. And that's how that works. Public Health Scotland said its consultants had given careful consideration to the potential benefits and harms, not of the injection around neonatal issues, no, but the potential harms of carrying out such an investigation and analysis as part of its probe into the deaths. So the issue is not whether they're killing babies, it's whether the investigation of the baby's deaths will harm the vaccine. Ah, I see. But concluded again against doing the investigation because, quote, it was not possible to identify a scenario that would have resulted in a change to policy. So because the the people driving policy won't care whether babies are dying or not, well, we won't even do the investigation. That's at least how I read that. Bottom line is they find that the investigation won't make a difference on policy. So why do it? That's not even remotely whether it's happening or safe. Given that vaccination policy was already appropriately informed by good quality population level evidence safety data. Great. Right. So because we did a study that's already been proven to not even remotely be good enough, fast, rapid, not enough evidence, not enough people hiding people in the first two weeks to three weeks, everything we've talked about. But they're just going, well, we already did it. We're done. You're wrong. We're right. Because we don't even need to investigate. It says this in, in a statement, Public Health Scotland added that there was also a risk that identifying the vaccination status of the mothers, even at aggregate level, would result in harm to those individuals and others close to them through actual or perceived judgment of the effects of their personal vaccination decision. Oh, how kind of you. But you're an anti-vaxxer, so we demand that you tell us whether you're vaccinated or not. So apparently your choice doesn't matter. As long as you're a gross anti-vaxxer, we demand that you reveal your medical choices. But of course, if you're on the other side, well, we, we respect your medical privacy. Who doesn't see this? The only people that are on this side are people that are disgusting people like them that act like they're better than you. Therefore, their choices, only your choices matter. Disgusting. Furthermore, quote, the outcomes of such analysis, whilst being uninformative for public health decision making. So apparently finding out whether babies are dying doesn't matter. It's not not informed the decision had the potential to be used to harm vaccine confidence. So who cares? If it's killing babies, that's one thing, but we can't let the vaccine harm. We can't let the vaccine perception be harmed. I can't even believe that they wrote that down. But the main point, we already went over this, is that this person who is perceived as an expert is simply telling you you're wrong. They already researched it. They proved it was ruled out. And the analysis published. My God, guys, this this is where we've always been. But for whatever reason, people are seeing it. We're finally beginning to see 
how broken things have gotten. I truly believe it's been like this longer than we realize. Now, here's an example of why this continues to be a problem, right? As she's shouting down the problems of the vaccine, another 13-year-old died from sudden cardiac arrest after collapsing in a football match. And you can read it yourself. You know the story. Sudden cardiac death. Baffled. We're confused. Nobody understands why this happened. Death of a morphologically normal heart. Exactly. So you can't argue it was locked down. You can't argue it was anything. Something unexpected and unexplainable happened. Two children that are being forced to take an injection that seems to be causing all sorts of stuff. You know, nobody wants to even ask the question. Can't Doesn't the vaccine that we're talking about have the potential to cause heart problems, to cause heart attacks and strokes? Yeah, they've proven that. They can claim it's one in a billion. They still tell you it's possible. So yet when it happens, the fact that they don't even acknowledge the possibility proves that they don't care. There's no way around that. If they say it's possible, yet shout down anybody offering it up as a possibility, it's right in there is the proof. That's the proof right there. Now, he, he points out, and I, you know, you could agree with this or not. I do agree for most people. This person says, I don't understand how these people, somebody attacks him after posting this. We don't believe you. I don't understand how these people show this hatred towards him. You know why? It's because he used to be on their side. It's not about right or wrong. It's about sides and game and, and team politics, right? So he stood up and said the wrong thing. Now you're an enemy, period. Facts don't matter to these people. My point is, or what he says, don't blame them. It's mainly willful blindness combined with a terrible combination of, for toxic, thoughtless narcissism on Twitter. Remember that changing one's mind is one of the most terrifying experiences a human can experience. They're just projecting. We win with compassion. I'm, I just really like that he said that. Now, whether or not there people, some people deserve your vitriol, be better than them, right? Be better. We win with compassion. I agree with that, right? That, that's how we break through for people, especially those that are actually lost, who maybe be, be venomous, but they might still just be lost. It doesn't justify how mean they're being, but they're confused and scared, and it's not their fault. The government's doing this to people. So think about that. Now, on the same note, of how broken this all is, right? We're talking about how I'm shouting down the reality of the information. It's happening all over the place. It even just happened in Canada, which should upset everybody. The very justifiable challenge to the travel ban based entirely on the illusion that stops transmission that we all know isn't true, the federal court in Canada just shut it down anyway. From literally under the guy, under the claim that it's moot. That's our argument. This is exactly like we just saw over here, where the Scotland government says, well, we, we don't even need to investigate because we know it's not true. Whatever. It'll hurt vaccine hesitancy or whatever. Okay, same thing here. They don't even look into it. They just go, well, it's moot because we already know. That's how this works. Maxine Bernier, who we've talked in the past, he seems to be standing against this. He says, this is what they said about the ruling. Quote, we are very disappointed with the decision of the federal court as there are millions of unvaccinated Canadians who were waiting to learn whether the federal government had the legal right to prevent them from leaving the country. Now, that's just about the legal right. It's not even getting into whether the vaccine is the, ar the argument for why is irrelevant. But it says the travel mandate represents one of the most egregious infringements of Canadians' mobility rights in Canadian history. And in our view, striking the lawsuit out before it's even heard. And while the prime minister continues to threaten Canadians with further COVID restrictions, it's a grave injustice. It's not an injustice. It, I, mean, well, I mean, it is. It's a travesty of justice. But this is the revealing that there is no justice. These people are broken or they've broken this. People have lost the way. 
That doesn't mean that we shouldn't still believe in how this, the, you know, a representative government, let's say, or however we want to rebuild things in, in the opposite direction of the Great Reset could go. The point is that they're proving to you that if they want to, they're, nothing is sacred. This federal court's like, we're not even going to hear it. We disagree before you even bring it to court. That's not how that's supposed to go. But here's where we are. So the time is to, the time is now for you as the people to stand up and make sure you they realize they're not in control anymore. If this is how they're acting, they don't represent you, do they? Show them who's in charge. And I do not mean violence. Never mean violence. Here is a great meme shared by the Free Thought Project about the the kind of manipulations we're seeing. Like that guy's meme we just we or the tweet we just played, where they're literally nobody ever told you it didn't stop transmission. The lies have never been more obvious. Here's this, what it says right there. Nobody said you wouldn't get COVID if you're vaccinated. Here's Fauci saying it. Here's Biden saying it. Here's Belinsky saying it. Here's Albert Borla saying it. By the way, I have a better example where he literally says that. This one's a little bit spotty. Bill, Bill Gates, Rachel Maddow, mean going forever. It's a great meme. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's fundamentally dishonest right on its face. They're lying to you and you can prove it just like that. And here's an example of how it continues. Now, again, I don't know whether or not this is them pretending that they got it and pretending to get sick to push the narrative that's certainly possible either way it's pretty stupid isn't it up to date that means she got her bivalent vaccinated cdc director walensky just got infected for what the 15th time i don't know for the fourth time technically last night she tested positive and she went up their date that's why her mild symptoms right do you know how do you know that for sure <laughs> reality is she probably wouldn't have got sick if she hadn't have gotten them but who cares we'll just say it's only mild because <laughs> Well, you're getting it repeatedly. You're spreading it repeatedly. But you're, you know, the idea that this is working is just crazy. Now, here's an example of that kind of mindset that is driving these people. Doom points this out. And happy birthday, Doom, by the way. CDC discussing using oral polio vaccine, not a joke, to combat New York outbreak. Right. You mean the outbreak that's caused by the oral vaccine? That's the truth. That's the reality. The oral polio vaccine is why this is happening. It's a it's a it's a vaccine derived strain. You can read it in the article. I mean, think about how ridiculous and counterintuitive that is. He says weird because the reason why New York City is seeing a rise in polio is because of people who already took the oral polio vaccine. It's it doesn't matter. It just it's I don't even think they care anymore. So let's bring it back to stop the thing that this caused. Right. Because vaccines good no matter what. Well, Aaron Siri pointing out that we should be pushing back. And I, you know, I have a, it's hard sell for me to argue, to, to sell me on the idea that the court system is going to back. Look at what happened to Canada, to Canada, right? But doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. I do think it's important. Which, by the way, I'm now remembering that I need someone I need to reach out to about an interview. But it says, in response to adding the COVID-19 vaccine to this childhood vaccine schedule or the recommendation for states to do so, which we know how that translates, despite the nuance argument, ICANN has advised today that they will fund that they will fund legal challenges against any state that mandates a COVID vaccine for attend schools. That's awesome. Good for them. Now you I mean, think about what that means. That's that's they're funding the bill. It's kind of hard to frame that as dishonest, right? So they will look. They this is we look forward to bringing those lawsuits. Good for them. Stand up. The point is, a lot of people are guys. A lot. Now here is a primary. This is one of the primary people involved with the push in Israel. One of the doctors there who is now just like Moholtra, just like Dr. Drew, just like basically everybody, it seems now, other than the ones that are still tied to this for some reason or lying to themselves. He is standing up and admitting that he was wrong. 
You and this is over. I mean, that's what I've been saying for a while now. They just don't want to give up. This is the truth, and people are starting to speak up. He says, I'm the head of the ER department, and I treated thousands of COVID patients. COVID was never a pandemic that spread humanity. Lockdowns and the forced vaccinations were the government's betrayal of your health and livelihood. I'm here to restore compassion and repair the health system. Why didn't half a million Israelis continue with the second vaccination? Why didn't two million continue with the third? I manage the Corona Vaccine Victims Project. Testimony, 6,000 we have documented. Cerebral, neurological, fertility problems, cardiac arrest. I'm here because the vaccine is dangerous. I believed the Ministry of Health and got vaccinated. Twice. Then I saw the truth being silenced in the mainstream media. I saw Israeli citizens being hounded, hunted, what did it say, hounded? Hounded. Founded by the government authorities. And I established the only party which will fight for civil rights. Now, that, that's not where I get I'm not even remotely advocating for a political party, especially in Israel. But the reality is that they, here's my point, by the way. Is this because they care about you? Or is this because they realize that this would, that would skyrocket them to the top of the political scene? You, I think you know my opinion. Regardless. Like I said before, be skeptical of all of them aggressively. But listen, because just because just because they found a advantageous reason to tell the truth, it doesn't mean it's not the truth. Right. Or at least you should consider it as the possible truth. But that's my thing. I think that the people see that this is something that they that I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think everybody realizes the world's not buying this anymore. And so now they got people like this that are jumping ahead, you know, and kind of tarnishing their credit with the with their, their rep with the other people involved in the agenda essentially but skyrocket how much you want to bet that they end up driving to the top of the, of the political discussion just like we're seeing in this country look at DeSantis and everybody else I don't believe they really care I know I'm pessimistic but at the end of the day it's working for them isn't it and that's why at least some of these people are probably just doing it because it benefits them well here's another example now this is gonna have, we have to wait and see how this plays out this could just be an, uh, another advantageous statement but Danielle Smith in Alberta is saying that she's pulling out of the deal with the World Economic Forum. I'll tell you, I, I, I believe that Alberta Health Services is the source of a, a lot of the problems that we've had. They signed a, some kind of, of a partnership with the World Economic Forum right in the middle of, um, of the pandemic. We've got to address that. Why in the world do we have anything to do with the World Economic Forum? That's got to end. Very interesting. Kind of, I mean, it's a weird way to say that. I mean, it's transparently obvious why one, their stated reason that's all out there. And then there's the real reason, which is also all out there. So the way that she says that kind of makes me go, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I trust that she must be well aware of what the arguments are. So I don't know. Very strange. Regardless, I'm glad to see it being stated. You know, let's change, the, change the conversation. Some people out there are going, we're going to get out of the deal. It just kind of speaks to the idea that the, the momentum has been lost. Right. But here's where this all leads into. All of this stuff, even the even the four, even don't forget about the bio labs in Ukraine, all this different stuff. This all leads in a direction of creating the justification for the biosecurity state, which is part and parcel of the Great Reset and the transhumanist and trans uh, technocratic direction. The Biden administration, Becker News reports, is already preparing for the next pandemic and will be even worse than COVID. This is October 20th. As he writes, the White House has released its strategy to strengthen health security and prepare for bio threats. The Biden-Harris strategy, 
Am I wrong? And I don't remember them ever saying like the Trump Pence strategy. Like it's weird how they shoehorn that in, right? But it says, and, and you'll find another point re relevant in that regard. I'll actually, I'll just show you right now. This is the post we're going to read from next. The whole thing appears to be written by Kamala Harris. Now, the only reason I say that, there's no signed thing at the bottom, is look how it starts. Biden-Harris administration. And it says, as the president has said. <laughs> and then the whole thing reads out. So apparently Kamala Harris is the one state. I mean, that that's quite telling, isn't it? Now, it could be because Biden can't tie his own shoes or it could be because there's something more to it. But it's up to you to think about. But it says they released their strategy. The Biden-Harris strategy signals the Democratic Party and the biomedical establishment intent to double down on all the disastrous policies that failed to stop the spread of COVID. If that's, I don't even think that's what they were meant to do. On top of that, they dramatically destroyed people's lives and didn't work if they were even meant to. And yet they are writing down, just like I always told you they would, these exact same policies going forward. Infectious diseases that, here's the actual document right here. Infectious diseases that cross borders and disrupt societies are a threat to our national security and global stability. So this is just the new, this is just the new state of foreign policy. That's all, I mean, that's all this is. And this is the administration releases strategy to strengthen health security and prepare for bio threats. Now it says COVID-19 is the latest example of how biological threats can devastate communities across America and around the world. Well, that's not even true. COVID-19 didn't do any of that. They did that. Just like we always said to him right in the beginning, the solution would be worse than the problem. Well, here we are. Just like we said, just like Trump's promised wouldn't be the case, even though he made it the case during his administration and it carried on through Biden's. They did more damage with the Defense Production Act and everything else they did. That's the reality. And yes, Biden's was way worse. I just think that's the evolution of the problem. Not necessarily that they it would have been the same if it was flip-flopped, in my opinion. Regardless, they did not. COVID-19 did not destroy the economy. COVID-19 did not shut down your business. That's what they did. They destroyed this. Then I think that was by design to be able to point at it just like this. Look at what these things do to us, resulting in millions of deaths and trillions of dollars of economic loss globally. In addition to COVID-19, the global community is concurrently fighting outbreaks of monkeypox, polio, Ebola. Are we? I mean, it's, it's, that, that seems like a very self-serving stretch. Outbreaks of monkeypox. I mean, you see very scattered cases of something that they're aggressively bleeding about, even though it's not really a problem. Not that these people aren't suffering from something, apparently, but it's not some, I mean, this is something that's hard to spread, hard to catch, not killing people. They're just focusing on it. That's all it is. Polio, as we just showed you, is coming from a vaccine-derived strain. Ebola is something they always hype up. That People like Dr. Bo uh, Dr. Boyle will make the argument that that's a, that's, it is because of what they're doing. He is the drafter of the Biowarfare Act they still use. Then he says highly pathogenic avian influenza. Well, that's always the game they play. Historically, they always lie about that and always get caught and other diseases. Stretching the thin global resources and demonstrating gaps in our current preparedness. I love that, right? Despite the 30,000 preparedness plans they've done. And every time they've got these exercises, they always go, we need more of this, we need more of that. And they never do it. They clearly want to be unprepared so they can use that to drive the next action. And it says, and the risks of weaponization of biological agents are expanding. And that's the crux of the whole point. The bad guys are making bad things. And really what they're doing is we're making things and we plan to blame it on people. That's all I think. That's what I think is happening. Not that the other governments aren't doing the same. The United States must prepare for outbreaks from any source. Right? So you, this is them policing the biological world. That's what this is. Just like they did with foreign policy before. Whether naturally occurring, accidental, or deliberate in origin. 
urbanization. Now, what's funny is this only is a logical argument when you're pointing at the bad guys. Anybody even, even ha I mean, even if anybody levels this at the U.S. government or anybody they're involved with, it's like fairy tale, clownish, ridiculous story. Why? Despite the fact that they've been caught using these things, I mean, that's the point. That is more obvious than not. The fact that they act like it's so impossible shows you there's something to it. Urbanization, climate change, and habitat encroachment, of course, all the things they want you to focus on, increase the risk of an outbreak. Get your vaccines during the weather, the hurricane, because vaccines, it's just, let's just connect all the dots they want to connect. It doesn't matter if they make sense. Global interconnectedness accelerates the spread at which infectious diseases spread across the world, especially when coupled with overwhelmed health systems. Right? First of all, the the zoonotic transfer is not something I believe is even completely the problem or ever. It, there's plenty of people that argue that's not even what's happening. Again, just like climate change, they don't care if there's other competing narratives or people that think differently and experts. They just shout them down and go with their narrative. Furthermore, the norm against the development, use, the development and use of biological weapons has been challenged by state and non-state actors over the past several decades. There are do, right now, they're actively developing these things. Just because they call it vaccine research does not mean it's not, it, it is dual purpose research. More than anyone else in the world, that's what they're doing. The administration is already implementing key actions in the strategy with existing funding. However, fully achieving these transformative objectives will require the support of Congress, right? So give us another $88 billion, of course, for the biodefense. That's your biosecurity state. And the administration looks forward to working with Congress to implement the this investment strategy to save trillions of dollars and millions of lives. Right, because, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to lock down again. So we're going to destroy your life if we don't do this. That therefore saving money. <laughs> right. Ridiculous. Now here... Oh, 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 let's, yeah, we'll go through this first. Some of these points, preventing outbreaks before they happen. That's your medical pre-crime right there. Why we trust these people with how many things they've already been caught for? I just, I don't understand this. And I don't think anybody does. That we just need to stand up and make this clear. They're going to be, they're going to, this is the pandemic accord with the WHO and everything else. They're going to say they're having something happen. Then they get to do whatever they want. Or they're going to say, you guys are sick and we see it coming. Lockdown. Whether or not we can prove that. At the very least, that's what they could do. Why would we give them that power? Then it says, strengthening laboratory biosafety, biosecurity. The United States will work with domestic and international partners, so their allies, to prevent laboratory accidents by strengthening biosafety laboratory capacity. Oh, so continuing gain-of-function research. Just doing it safer, I guess. Reinforcing norms of responsible conduct for biological research and accelerating biosafety and biosecurity innovation in the United States and abroad. Cool. So you and Ukraine continue to make weapons. Got it. That's what will happen. That's what is currently happening. I, there, this is not being hyperbolic. That is literally what's going on and whoever else they want to work with. But if it happens in Iran or Russia or China, well, it's immediately a problem because they're making weapons. Well, they probably are. The problem is that they're the ones doing this more than anybody in the world. And they've already admitted they've had one leak every three days for seven years straight, talking about Fort Detrick and other labs in the United States. They won't tell you that now. The conversation has shifted, but that is the reality. The United States will also invest in path-breaking technologies to detect and attribute biological weapon use and work with foreign partners to prevent use and respond decisively if weapons are deployed. So the policemen of the world. So that they're going to have their path-breaking technologies to detect and attribute. Oh, great. So you're going to be like, oh, we could tell that this was wrong. 
We could tell based on our path-breaking technology that this was China. Trust us. National security. Can't show you. Think about about how this has worked out in the past. Why would we trust them? Why does anybody? Then over the next five to ten years, this is what it aims to do. Enable testing within 12 hours. Surge tens of thousands of diagnostic tests within one week and develop rapid die. So PCR testing within 12 hours of any argument and you all get tested. That's what's happening. That's a guaranteed illusion anytime they want it. Develop vaccines within 100 days. So let's we're, we're on the mRNA platform for life. Anytime they claim something's happening, bing, 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 bump out something in 100 days. Jam it in everyone's arms based on a genetic code that we haven't tested because that's what we just saw. Manufacture enough vaccine for the population of the United States within 130 days. Let's pretend like that's... So right now they're telling you that most vaccine studies take years and they're going to just shoehorn in the idea because their platform that's already hurting people right now that we're going to be 100 days, 130 days manufacturing vaccines for the whole country. Does anybody think that's been proven? Work with international partners to develop sufficient vaccine supply. Okay, so explain for me why if you can pump them out in 100 days, you need to have a massive supply because they always want your money. That's why. Because you're funding this. So they're going to keep buying and keep supplying them because they're going to they're going to expire. They're just going to keep it going. Constantly biking apparently every 130 days. More vaccines, more vaccines. So not only are they ramping up production exponentially, but they're going to argue they can pump them out within 100 days and make whatever they want whenever they want based on the allegation that it's going to happen tomorrow. This is, if you've ever seen unaccountability, it's this is that on steroids. Then it says down here, directing departments and agencies to prioritize biodefense and implementation of the strategy in their annual budgets. So now apparently every department's going to be aimed at this direction because that's how this works. Directing the intelligence community, okay, so like the NSA, CIA, to closely monitor the evolving biothreat landscape and provide critical and potentially time-sensitive information needed to address naturally occurring, accidental, and deliberate threats. Okay, so apparently now it's the CIA's job to inform us of outbreaks? Right, because the CIA is educated on how to dictate and or how to investigate natural disease outbreaks. That's pretty stupid. This is in, embarrassingly transparent. What this is, is directing the intelligence community to closely monitor threats. That's all it is. Just acting like naturally occurring and accidental. They're not monitoring whether there's an outbreak of Ebola in Africa. That's the CIA, CDC and other groups that, you know, whatever, they claim their job. That's the intelligence community creating an entire direction about monitoring what other countries, I argue it's about framing people for their own agendas. However you want to look at it though, this is the direction and it's going without, I mean, it's, it's a runaway train at this point. Now here is the other document. It's just more detailed. It gets into the, you know, more nuance and I'll probably go through this in the future, but it's just the same document, but with all the inner working details, this is just the fact sheet, but this is where it's going. Right? This is my point, guys. Even though it seems nobody trusts them and everyone's seeing what's going on, nobody's taking the new injection. They're just, they're literally enshrining the biosecurity state based on mRNA platforms, based on everything that just happened. Lockdowns, testing, PCR, everything. This cannot be allowed. Now, what that will do is create the step into this new Great Reset direction. The biosecurity state will force people to get the the digital ID, vaccine passport, the whole thing. 
Now, how exactly do they trick you into accepting that, especially when everybody's pushing back? That's a good question. Here's a good article from the Activist Post. Australian bank begins linking customer transactions to your carbon footprint. Well, we've already, over, we've already discussed the overlap, right? So now you're being graded social credit based on your carbon footprint, which is your digital ID part of that, and that will end up being one and the same, right? But even that, how do they get you involved in that, right? Because right now we're all very skeptical. They can't just be like, you're all in danger from a new pandemic because we're not buying it, right? Well, that's where the collapses come in. Because now it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If you can't feed yourself, what are you going to do? If you're freezing to death, what are you going to do? That's the idea of sanctions. Same thing. Most people in Iran or these countries under sanctions, they don't want the U.S. government in charge. But when their, their child is starving in their arms, it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Now, that sounds harsh, but that's the reality. That's why people like uh, Giuliani openly said, they're selling their organs for food. And this is how good revolutions are beginning. He literally said that. I mean, it's it's vile, isn't it? Let's see. Hold on. I think I. No, that's not it. He spells name Giuliani. Oh, there it is. He, this is literally what he said about Iran when they were creating a revolution in Iran. So now tell me that you're not a serious threat. It's the regime we're trying to overthrow sees us as a threat. You are a threat. It isn't reality. The protests are getting worse. I don't know when we're going to overthrow them. It could be in a few days, months, a couple of years. He's speaking to the MEK, by the way. A a group far more extremist than any of the groups they're pretending are the problem right now. But it's going to happen. They are going to be overthrown. The people of Iran obviously have now had enough. The sanctions are working. The currency is going to nothing. They're where Russia was. They're where Poland was. So admitting that they're destroying their currency, which is hurting civilians, driving them to action. There's simply no misunderstanding that. We see signs of young men and women saying, give me some food. We saw a sign of a man trying to sell his internal organs for 500 American dollars. Probably a fortune in Iran today. This is truly pitiful. These are the kinds of conditions that lead to successful revolution. Right. Okay. So bottom line is they created destabilization. He just admitted that the sanctions are working. Their dollar is going to nothing. And it's pitiful that this guy has to sell his organs for food because of what you did. Yeah. How in the world can you even blame that on Iran? You literally just said it in plain English. But it's because he probably didn't expect this to be publicized. He's speaking to extremists that are going, yeah, we hate Iranians. That's how they think. Or at least they hate the people in control. But I mean, it's I mean, you could listen to these people. They are wildly extremist. And that's why they're funding them, just like the moderate rebels or like the fascists in Ukraine. All the good guys, right? Funding Osama bin Laden before the, the, the whatever happened there. Funding Osama uh, uh, Saddam Hussein, before he, they turned on him, always funding the worst of the worst. How do we miss the correlation there? Right? So the point is, this is what's happening to you. As she writes, Bernie's tweets, an energy crisis the public haven't even felt yet is about to hit. It, it will be almost impossible to square the state-dependent circle. As she writes, or the article writes, frankly terrifying. Energy crisis could drag 26 million Brits into fuel poverty. Why? Because Putin? That's what they'll sure argue, because they're cowards. They are destroying your life, so you have no choice but to accept what comes next. 
As she writes, as Hungary warns of running out of fuel, the rest of Europe are preparing for the worst. And energy lockdown appears imminent. Now you got countries arguing we have to lock down, stop you. You know, we saw Sri Lanka. They're already rationing fuel because of what they did. And I'll show you that next. An energy lockdown appears imminent as factories furlough staff because they can't afford to function. Here's on the food part of it. This is Zero Hedge. The food crisis of 2023 is going to be far worse than most people would dare imagine. This is Michael Snyder. I'm trying to sound the alarm about this as loudly as I can. Now, I don't, I don't see this as fear-mongering, guys. I feel like I, this is what people genuinely see building and are trying to warn people. This is no longer fear-mongering. We're watching this happen with $10,000 energy bills and people who can't even buy food at the store. The global food crisis just continues to intensify, and things are going to get really bad in 2023. As you will see below, that, that's if it intensifies, two-thirds of European fertilizer production has already been shut down, which directly translates to no food, because apparently that woke kid on the street thinks that farming is the only thing we, we need to do away with farming. That's how you eat, bud. Currency problems are causing massive headaches for na poor nations that need to import food. Global weather patterns continue to be completely crazy, and the bird flu is killing millions upon millions of chickens and turkeys all over the planet. Now, I don't know if that's the case, or if that's what they use to argue they need to be put down. On top of everything else, the war in Ukraine is going to restrict the flow of agriculture and fertilizer exports, probably by design, from that part of the world for a long time to come. That's why they're dragging this out to 2030. Don't miss the time overlap to 2030. Because there is no end to the war in sight, they argue. That's because they're making that the case. In essence, we are facing a perfect storm. That can't be by accident, guys, for global food production. And that perfect storm is only going to get worse in the months ahead. That's why we're seeing simultaneous food distribution plants burning down and having random explosions. And I mean, this is happening. Whether all of it is absolutely on purpose or not, I can't say. But it is absolutely, I argue, mathematically impossible that this could be happening all simultaneously and all by coincidence. All exactly in the direction of what they just go, oh, well, even though it's bad, it turns out that's in our best interest anyway, though. It's not, we're not doing it, but, you know, here's why it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, right. By the way, a while that's going on, can you not, where, are we missing how there's all these really ridiculous, I feel per, plain, plainly staged, supposed protests where they're going around and dumping out all the milk, wasting food. And by the way, even the ones where you see them like throwing things on paintings. I mean, it's such a fake reality. Do we not realize one, those paintings are covered if they're even the actual paintings on display. That's the reality of these places. They know these, they wouldn't put out a $10 million painting for some random idiot to go touch when they walk by, right? They're, they're covered aggressively. If again, they're even the actual painting on display. This is just a this is just a display throwing mashed potatoes and sitting down and saying, look at the environment. No, look, I'm not, they, they may think they're doing the right thing, but this is this is what protests have been. They want you to think they are. It's ridiculous. This is a bunch of entitled children that don't understand what they're doing or it's not real. Milk pours are currently happening all across the UK. Really? Perfectly leading in the same direction, right? All of this is leading in this direction. They are creating a situation where you will become desperate so you have no choice. That's what I believe. Now, this final part is what I think this exposes this. The, the expose points this out. The UN says food shortages are essential to cheap slave labor. Now, when I first read this, I'm like, really? Why would they? That seems like I, I, I find it hard to believe. Why would they write that? But you know what? It's true. In 2008, an article touting the benefits of world hunger for creating a cheap, motivated workforce was published on the United Nations website. And it says the article resurfaced recently on Twitter and went viral. And 
was promptly taken down by the UN within 24 hours. What do you know? Why would that happen? The crux of the article is that the elite class has a distinct motivation to not end world hunger because if everyone is well-nourished, there may be no one willing to provide cheap labor and slave away at some of the most physically demanding and unpleasant jobs on the planet. Now, that's one way you could look at it. The other part of it is, if nobody's hungry or starving, there's no leverage. It may be just jobs, but it also could just be for any number of things, whether we're talking regime change. There's no leverage tool there. And they know that you can use food. That's been throughout history. For the Rockefellers have made statements to that accord. People know. I think it was, I think Soros, some of the people have made arguments. Was that the right one? Or maybe it was Kissinger. I forget. I don't want to misquote it. People are on the record basically saying that if you want to go after people, use their food supply. And it's the truth. And it's not just jobs. It's about using that as leverage to control you. Now, says while the UN claimed the article was satire, the craziest part, and I'll, we'll show you this next, the author truly, to multiple outlets, has said that's not true. He's denied that and said it wasn't satirical, that it was real, and he meant it. Intended to raise awareness. Now, you can read the rest of this article for yourself. Here is the tweet which shows you that the UN, and this is the UN, the UN Chronicle is, the, is, part, is the magazine of the United Nations. They responded to the Real Annie Lee show which, when she said, in the face of looming food, I just on July 6th, by the way, in the face of looming food energy shortages caused by disastrous climate policies, the UN says hungry people are the most productive people, especially where there is a need for manual labor. And they responded when it was still public and said this article appeared in the UN Chronicle 14 years ago as an attempt at satire. So there's no questioning. The UN made this false, blatantly dishonest argument that it was a satire article was never meant to be taken literally. We have been made aware of its failures, even as satire, and have removed it. That's their claim. They're lying to you. This is my point. So when they delete it and lie about why, there is simply no questioning that this is something important. That's how I look at it. Here's the point. Now, the expose is right. But I, this is, this is there, I think Yahoo News even reported about this. Here's FEE.org. UN deletes article titled The Benefits of World Hunger Wasn't Real or Satire. The author of the article in question literally spoke on the record with FEE and said it was not a parody. And again, Yahoo News has the same story. So ask yourself how the United Nations has the guts to stand up and be like, you're lying. He, or rather not even you're lying, simply say he said it was satire when he's openly speaking to reporters and saying, no, it's not. They're, this is my point, guys. I think they're losing. I think they are desperately trying to hide what's really happening because it's falling apart in front of them. That doesn't mean they're still just going to push it in any way. I argue if it got so bad that we were just like, none of us trust you anymore, they'd be like, good. Now shut up and do what you're told. Now we, we don't need pretenses anymore. We're just going to march the military out and make you do what we want. I, now that's, I argue not what they want to happen, but I, they will not give up. I don't see how that's possible. But what we need is the rest of the world, if they're also not completely controlled, to realize that we are no longer represented. But here's the point. August 1st, he told them it was not a parody after they deleted it. The article, which now leads to an error page, which is right here, it says the requested page could not be found, which you can find on the Wayback Machine, which we'll read next in a moment, which I'm sure they hate, which is why they're trying to hide the Wayback Machine, too. It was written by George Kent, a now retired university a retired University of Hawaii political science professor. In the article, Kent argued that hunger is, quote, fundamental to the working of the world's economy. 
And he's not wrong. It's easily provable. They just argue they want to change that. I don't see why, especially because what they're doing in every possible way is the wrong is, is hurting people and subjugating them under the guise of making their lives better. Certainly my opinion anyway. Much of the hunger literature talks about, this is quoted from the article, it, how it is important to assure that people are well-fed so they can be more productive, Kent wrote. That is nonsense. No one works harder than hungry people. Yes, because who are well-nourished have greater capacity for productive physical activity, Who are, uh, but well-nourished people are far less willing to do that work. That's his opinion anyway. But he says US, the UN article deleted the article, or Chronicle, excuse me, UN Chronicle deleted the article after it began to cause a stir on social media. Again, so doesn't that show you something? It's been up for 14 years, but the moment that you start calling it out, then they delete it. Doesn't that, They knew it was there. The magazine said Kent's article should not be taken literally, contending it was work of parody. But after reading the UN's tweet, Yahoo's report, and several other pieces commenter in the subject, I initially agreed that Kent's article was likely written as satire. However, after closer examination and brief conversation with Kent revealed that's not the case. First, it's important to note that Kent himself denies the article was intended as a form of satire. Quote, this is him speaking to Climate Depot. I don't think the UN would have published it if they thought it was satire or advocacy. Right. They're lying. In the interview, Kent explains he was not advocating global hunger, but was intending it to be provocative by saying certain individuals and institutions, the elitists, benefit from global hunger which is why they're trying to create more of it, which is why the GMO program created more of it, in my opinion. It says, no, it's not satire, Kent told Mark Morano, founder and editor of Climate Depot. I don't see anything funny about it. It's not about advocacy of hunger. I reached out to Kent and asked if he quotes that the article, if the quotes were accurate, and he told me, the FFE, that they were, adding that he intends to publish a paper this fall that will further detail his views. So good. They're falling apart here. And it looked good on FAE for not just taking the Climate Depot's word for it and actually doing their due diligence, which is why I like this outlet. Mark understood me very well, Kent told me in the email. I hope my current paper on who benefits from hunger helps to make my position clear to everyone involved in this discussion. Now, under alleviating global hunger and the rise of ESG, which is exactly the point, I'm glad that they connected this. There's a great, read the whole thing, by the way. It's a great article. But they make the market-led solutions that Kent has disparaged have worked wonders for hunger alleviation. The same cannot be said for initiatives hatched by the central planners at the United Nations, the organization that published Kent's controversial article on hunger. It's interesting, right? So why wouldn't they use the things that have worked instead of going in the ESG direction? Because they don't want them to work, guys. That's what I think. Now, here's the point of Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka's current food crisis right now stems directly from an effort to shift the country's agricultural sector to organic farming, which saw an import of fertilizer to shift, hold on. Stems directly from the effort to shift the sector two. That's not correct. Hold on. Which saw the import of fertilizers banned. I read that wrong first, but I feel like that's a typo because I feel like it's what they're saying is the opposite afterward, which saw the import of fertilizers banned and led the country to become an importer of rice instead of an exporter virtually overnight. Regardless, the point is that the actions that the United Nations are taking, and look, right now we're watching them shut down organic farms. So I feel like regardless, the point is the UN's actions in regard to ESG are why Sri Lanka is suffering. That's the point. Many writers are th and thinkers are blaming Sri Lanka's crisis on the global rise of ESG, 
Environmental, Social, and Governance, which was started in 2004 under the auspices of, you guessed it, the United Nations to encourage sustainable development. There you go. And people are right to blame ESG, writing for the World Economic Forum in 2016. Economist Joseph Stiglitz said, quote, Sri Lanka may be able to move directly into high high productivity organic farming. You see, there's your point. So I think they made a typo in the article. The point is that's a way you could get away from the centralized top-down control of the food supply. Sri Lanka did. By doing so, the nation earned an ESG score of nine. No, I I guess not. I guess they're arguing that the push into organic farming was what got them that. See, that doesn't make sense to me in the way that the U.S. government and other groups like in Denmark, the Dutch farmers, are being shut down because that they're arguing that. I guess it's the the way the countries are going about it. Their argument is simply we need to shut down the, the fertilizers and so on. So isn't that interesting? So over here in Sri Lanka, they're doing they're arguing high productivity organic farming is the way to go to stop the problem. But over here in the United States, they're going the other direction. So it's like they're not even consistent in the way that they're going forward. I mean, this is just so frustrating. Either way, the point is that the ESG, however they're interpreting that, is translating to less food supply. By doing so, they earned an ESG score of 98 out of 100 and caused a food crisis that resulted in one president's resignation and food insecurity for millions of people. Right. So just like Klaus told you, well, there's going to be a lot of destabilization and loss of jobs. So they don't care that they're destroying your lives, starving people to death, as long as they get a high ESG score and, you know, align with the United Nations. So here you go. More food scarcity, more hunger, more top-down control. And they keep screaming they're making your life better. It's not Sri Lanka, after all. Not just Sri Lanka, after all. The Netherlands, Canada, and other countries are making headlines with food schemes that are likely to goose their ESG score, but cause serious problems at a time when global hunger is on the rise for the first time in decades. Isn't that crazy? First time in decades, and we're acting like it's natural, based at, despite their, their actions overtly doing so. And here's the main point, guys. This is on the United Nations website. They are, they're, he is literally arguing that, be, that world hunger is maintained to benefit the elites, elitists. It says, we sometimes talk about hunger in the world as if it were a scourge that all of us want to see abolished, viewing it as comparable with the plague or, or AIDS. But that naive view prevents us from com- coming to grips with what causes and sustains hunger. Hunger has great positive value to many people. Indeed, it is fundamental to the works of the world's economy. Remember, he's not being sat- satirical here. Hungry people are the most productive people, especially where there's a need for manual labor. When we sell our services cheaply, we enrich others. Those who own the factories, the machines, and the lands, and ultimately own the people who work for them. Yeah, right, because you own nothing, and they claim you've never been happier, but ultimately, they own all of it. The factories, the machines, the lands, and you rent it all from them, and they just decide if and when they want to give you what they claim would make you happy. The point is, that's what they're creating right there. For those who depend on the availability of cheap labor, hunger is the foundation of their wealth. The conventional thinking is that hunger is caused by low-paying jobs. When it is true that hunger is caused by low-paying, while it is true that hunger is caused by low-paying jobs, we need to understand that hunger at the same time causes low-paying jobs to be created. Who would have established massive biofuel production operations in Brazil if they did not, if they did not know 
there were thousands of hungry people desperate enough to take the awful jobs they would offer. Right. We know that this is what companies all around the world do completely under the understood in line with the U.S. government. It's happening all around the world. I mean, going back far enough, they were actually openly carrying out regime change to protect companies like fruit companies in South America that were doing exactly that with slave labor. It's the same thing. They went there, they outsource because they know they can take advantage of it, like Nike and other places around the world, making shoes for pennies in the dollar. But it's okay because they, you know, pay their offerings to the mafiosos in our government. But who, or, but who would b- build any sort of factory if they did not know that many people would be available to take the jobs at low-paying rates? Much of the hunger literature talks about how it is important to assure that people are well-fed so that they can be more productive. That is nonsense. No one works harder than hungry people. Yes, people who are well-nourished have greater capacity for for productive physical activity, but well-nourished people are far less willing to do that work. The non-governmental organization Free the Slaves defines slaves as people who are not allowed to walk away from their jobs. It estimates that there are about 27 million slaves in the world. Then it goes on to point out that it's not just as simple as that because there are people who are locked in by hunger. People who feel like they can't leave their job because they have no other choice. But it says, for those of us at the high end of the social ladder, ending hunger globally would be a disaster. If there were no hunger in the world, who would plow the fields? Now, I take it a little different direction. Not just who would do the menial labor, because I feel like you could always find somebody willing to do labor. But again, you could argue it's only because people would just need the money in the moment. I think that's what happens. It's a great point, but it's not just the labor, right? Who, how would you coerce people? How would these people in power use their, I mean, in this case, we're watching them use their, their, their necessities. Like water is an example, but that's, they need these things. That's what these sanctions do. It says who would harvest our vegetables? Who would work in the rendering plants? Who would clean our toilets? Who would have, who would have to produce our own, we would have to produce our own food and clean our own toilets. No wonder people at the high end are not rushing to solve the hunger problem. That is the point. For many of them, hunger is not a problem, but an asset. This is why they lied about it, why they kept it for 14 years, lied about it, and have just recently deleted it. That's why, right there. And yet again, I will include this article that I've pointed out many times. I wrote about, I wrote a long time ago. The point is this article makes very clear that in the United States alone, we throw away enough food to feed the entire country. We, there's, we throw away enough food every single year to feed everybody in this country, beyond a doubt. The world throws away enough food every year. I think it's, it's actually staggering how much food gets thrown away. The point is, in this country alone, Americans waste 40% of their food. And this was in 2016. It's only gotten worse. That's $165 billion worth of food worth every year. 20 pounds per person every month. Because things are misshapen and not perfectly shaped. The, 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 the grocery stores throw them away. They pour bleach on them in the dumpsters. Right? Like, this is the reality. Just the United States. We wanted to solve the problem in this country. We could have already done it a long time ago. Instead, they want to use this problem to trick you into thinking they have a solution. That's what this all means. As we end at two hours and 46 minutes, I clearly did not meet what I wanted to meet today. I'll keep trying, though. <laughs> but to finish off, I want to make sure I say I just posted some great stuff on Parlor today. Make sure you follow us on Parlor because I'm going to continue to try to use that platform more. But follow us on all of our platforms. Continue to support this, this, the last American Vagabond in general. I'll do another shout out to our donation page in general as well. Because to be tr- quite honest, we have seen a lot of fall off in support in regard to the donations, which 
I'm going to keep trying to shout out in general because I need your support today because there's a lot happening. I'll include this at the end. This donation page allows you to donate in a lot of different ways. But in general, we want to keep growing the platform. I want to keep doing this and broaden this out, you know, get better studios and better equipment to continue to make this happen. That's why that's what our Pirate Stream Media direction is all about to create a system that cannot be stopped. That does not, that we no longer care about whether or not, like that we become a large enough platform to where there's no shutting this down anymore. That's what we need to do, guys. And look, quite frankly, I'd love it if you supported The Last American Vagabond, but at the very least, support somebody out there doing that. Somebody who is nonpartisan, who is objective, who is fighting for you at all costs. That's all I want. Thank you for being here today, continuing to stand up for what you believe in. So few do that today. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.